I learned to just use the tool and I liked it so much that for the first time in my life I actually enjoyed doing something Hello, Roy, and this is Design This Way. On today's episode, I have with me Anurag Arora. Anurag is a product designer based out of Bangalore. He worked at Uber India for over five years. He's known for his work on Uber Lite, Uber Bus, and Phone Call to Ride. Before Uber, he worked briefly at Twitter and Microsoft. And now, he's the co-founder of an on-demand interviewing platform called Interview. It's spelled like Inter-V-U-E. That's a new startup he has gotten into. Besides design, Anurag also has a strong passion for food. In fact, his love for food landed him at Le Cordon Bleu in London, where he pursued a professional culinary course. And he has worked briefly in professional kitchens and Michelin star restaurants as well. On today's episode, we talk about Anurag's interest in design and food and about how he balances them both. This episode of Design This Way is very special. Both Anurag and I share a strong love for unique flavor and delicious food. He knew about this and he decided to fly all the way to Delhi NCR to hang out with me, to eat great food and to record an episode of what according to him is one of his favorite podcasts. Obviously, I was really flattered and delighted with this gesture of Anurag. So I decided to take him to Old Delhi or Shah Jahanabad to be more specific for an early morning food crawl. That's a walled city region around Jama Masjid. The overcrowded and chaotic tiny lanes of this part of the city have been romanticized by so many people. It kind of serves as a perfect example of what a white tourist expects the entire India to look like. At this point, it has become almost a boring cliche, so I'm not going to talk much about this place, but there's one undisputed truth. The food. The food of this place is like pure magic. You can't find the mind-blowingly amazing food like this elsewhere in this country. So Anurag and I went for a tiny food hunt and chatted about few things. And I decided to include those sections in this podcast. And if you'd like to skip this part and go straight to the podcast content, I've left the timestamps in the notes. You can check that out and feel free to skip this part. But I'm sure you will enjoy our tiny food crawl. So... I started my day at 7am and tried to book an Uber, but after getting three cancellations on my Uber ride, I gave up and decided to take the Delhi Metro towards the old city. After a long 40 minutes of metro commute, I reached the Chavri Bazaar metro station, which is a few kilometers away from the Jama Masjid. Chavli Bazaar metro station has like loads of stairs. So I'm on the, this must be like three stories. I checked out of the metro station and took a cycle rickshaw. Anurag took an Uber, but I reached before him. I think he clearly underestimated the power of public transit in Delhi. But like we were off by a few minutes, so that's okay. Okay, there I see it, Jama Masjid. 
taxi where Anurag takes me. Luckily, we both knew what we wanted. We wanted that delicious, delicious Nihari that can only be found in Old Delhi. Nihari is like a slow-cooked fatty meat stew that's cooked overnight in a huge metal vessel. Imagine a savory and spicy extraction of many meat bones. It has meat shanks, meat fat, ghee, and a delicate blend of spices like long pepper, black pepper, clove, cinnamon, red chili, and other such spices. When it comes to Nihari, everyone has their own favorite place in Old Delhi, and my favorite one is Chabrati Nihari. I can argue it's the best. It's a bit hard to find, so we try to walk around and locate the Nihari joint. I'm not used to be. There is a Nihari place okay. here also. Yeah. There is one. I okay. don't know which one. Okay. But it's really, really good. Kallu opens in the evening. No, 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 not that one. Noora, I think you might Noora, be talking Noora about is not. on the other side. Shabrati. Oh, Shabrati also, yes. Shabrati. Shabrati opens at 6 a.m., so one they time. generally get over, but yeah. sometimes because it's winters, I guess, yeah. we might be lucky. Yeah. Are we heading towards that Nihari place just to check it out? We can do that. Yeah, let's do that and we'll come back. We'll but come back. There is a lot of magic happening. Right, right, right. On right. the back. Oh, oh nice. Wow. Damn, these are going to be so yummy. Yeah, you We're just looking at here. trotters right now. While we were on the way, we just spotted a shop that was selling meat offals and trotters. And Anurag was super impressed with their butchering skills. You know, in, in, in French, especially uh, from my Le Cordon Bleu time, Right. You know, we learned butchery. Right. And like every time we'd like talk about a restaurant or we visit a restaurant, right. in butchers there will be like a highest regard for hmm. the person who could remove skin, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, for the yeah. person uh, who would basically help others kind of understand better, right? right? There's always that one butcher in that restaurant. Right. <laughs> um, and here, like on the street, you know, like these people are so skilled. Well, the Nihari place was actually hard to find, so we asked a local and we finally found it. Do you know where we're heading or are we just... Uh, no, it's, we know, so... Let me also check Google Maps. Yeah, you should do that. <laughs> okay, no, he's right. <laughs> he's right, yeah. He's right. local. Yeah, this is free. I remember. Ribs, ribs, ribs. There we go. That's everything, Yari. I've come here before. When we reached there, the cook was cracking the shank bones and taking out the cotton soft bone marrow. <sighs> Usually, the Nihari gets over by 8 a.m., but we were lucky that day and were able to order two plates of Nihari, which is served with some Kamiri roti. That's like a fluffy flatbread. And we also got a tiny plate of bone marrow. Let's go for it. It was so damn delicious. I had to stop the recording because we could barely talk with all the food in front of us, so we just enjoyed it. This is sorted. After Nihari, Anurag wanted to head to an old Delhi bakery that Anurag really liked and he wanted to enjoy some of the baked stuff with a cup of hot tea. Are we going towards Al Jawahar? I have Did no idea. A... No, no, we took a side. No, let's you, not take a detour. You told me you know a place here? Yeah, yeah, no, not here. <laughs> not here. <laughs> I just got carried away. We might just find another place then. 
no, no, not sure. It's okay. like closer to Aljamar. It's also a left. Acha, which kali is it? We will have to find. That's the beauty of the. On this side. Right. There was this one dukan where I bought some masalas. Oh. I had like one Nihari masala. Oh. That Nihari masala like basically brought me to Delhi. Like I'm not in Delhi. I of course cooked it for wow. like you know five six hours and all of those right. things. Right. But like, it's not about like the time, right? It's also about what right. goes into it. Right. Go back to this kaliya. Okay, sure. Let's do this. You have to be patient with me. Nah, that's fine. <laughs> Dude, it's this day yours. Okay, good. Everything is so hard to locate in Old Delhi. I was proposing the idea that we could go to the kulfi place that I knew of, and the kulfi at that place is almost like a frozen fruit sorbet. I'm a hundred percent sure it's not this gully. <laughs> I am a hundred percent sure. Uh, do you wanna? Okay, no. Uh, we should first test this out. Otherwise, that kulfi place, man. I'm we telling. Will, that's the last thing. So desserts okay. towards the end. Right, right. We right. do have to do like one bakery. That's just See? one chart. But with a bit of struggle, we finally found the bakery. Oh, look at that! Bro, it's this one. We got it. Oh, nice, nice, nice. This thing looks it's good. It's like the Indian croissant. Yeah, let's have it. This will be included in the recording. What should we do? Like, should we take this and yeah, go to the chai place? Basically, put this in a. Bag and go for go to a right, chai place. Right, right, right. That's, that's the plan. Sir, we purchased two puff pastries and a biscuit each, which costed us a total of twenty rupees. It's less than one third of a US dollar. Yes, that's the price we were charged. What's the shop next to this? Halim. Oh, Halim. He will start in the evening, I guess. Ha. Huh. It's not a morning. The shop next to the bakery was preparing halim, which is like an Indian version of Middle Eastern haris or harissa as they call it. And Anurag told me an amazing food trivia. Apparently, pre-partition Punjab had its own version of harissa, which is served with a tadka. And tadka is like an Indian technique of tampering the food with a really hot oil before serving. Here's what Anurag told me about it. You know, we had we had this menu, which was called Back to Roots. Unfortunately, I was never able to do it. Okay. Um, And for me, back to roots means Punjab, and I didn't want to make butter chicken in that menu. Actually, people don't know about it. Butter chicken is Delhi food. I know, right? And and I didn't want to do butter chicken or like. Of course. Know. Of course, we had this dal that my mother makes on oh. a bara, which is like a sort of a wood-fired sort of a situation. Right. Which gets cooked for like eight nine hours. That right. was one contender in that menu. Right. But then I just like thought maybe I should like go, perhaps. Even further back, mm. you know, mm. and then mm. I was uh, researching about this harissa, okay. which is the Amritsari harissa. Amritsari harissa. You don't get it in Amritsar anymore. That's that's the sad part. Damn. And then that harissa went back to Lahore, and now it's called Lahori harissa. But originally it was called Amritsari harissa. Yeah, in United Punjab, right? Yes, when it yes. was a. Uh, and then you know, yeah. like I found some friends who could connect me to Pakistanis in. Hmm. Uh, I mean Punjabi Pakistanis in Pakistan right and their mothers and their grandmothers right and i learned the recipe uh. on a video call like, like wow in the pandemic <laughs> dude <laughs> and then i created that lahori or amritsari harissa for that matter god and it was amazing and wow. then i served it with something called <laughs> double roti which is what my grandmother calls a bread yeah 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 but then i was just trying to make this from a memory because that bread There is no recipe to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
I just like but man like like a whole wheat pita situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was like so fatty. Yeah, yeah. And then you know it has these uh, moong dal. It has oh uh, oh. So it has okay. a lot of. Uh, so what's the difference goat? between uh, let's say Haris, uh, Halim, and uh, Lahori? Now Lahori Harisa. So I could get this wrong. So just putting it out. Right, right. Already, but no, I can't talk about it's the Lahori. Harisa, because that I I've studied and I know really well. Right. So Lahori or Amritsari Harisa has, uh, of course, a lot of minced lamb. Okay. But right. it also has um, dal's and rice. Okay, dal I have not uh, seen in Haris. Yeah. Like the actual Haris. Yeah, you'll mostly see rice, right? Yeah, yeah. In this one, it, there is dal. There's so there's rice. There's uh, buckwheat, I think. Yes. Yes. Is buckwheat with the. Uh, huh. uh, yeah. This one has uh, rice and it has moong dal. Right, and basically it's of course cooked really slow for really really long. Right, and of course the whole thing becomes like a paste. Right, it's super fatty. Right. <laughs> uh, towards the end there is also like a tarka of sorts that you do with the green chili. Interesting. So when you serve, yeah, imagine like you put this paste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which wow. looks pretty sad, by the way. Okay. And suddenly gets transformed. Right. By this green chili ka tadka. Right, right, right. Like, imagine a lot of like lamb fat. Right. Plus ghee. So you basically made a make a tadka of sorts and do pour on this plate. Ah. And suddenly that really that really like sad looking plate like transformed into something very beautiful. Right. And uh, and of course I'm so visual. But <laughs> I'm sure some people will be like, no, that's not sad. Wow. Yeah, I love that so much. And I made it so many times. The sad part is we could never do that menu. We could never take it to public. Why? Like. Uh, so this was like a collective right. where uh, so many few chefs were called to do it. Hmm. Where they were like asked to go back to the roots. Hmm. The hmm. whole venue got cancelled. Oh. And I still think this can be like a pop up at some point for me. I don't uh, think I have ever thought that Haris could be a uh, Punjabi thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. It is. It is, and this sounds very much Punjabi. The recipe itself, I will mean, forget the name. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we lost a lot of like really good meat, um, you know, after the partition, especially. Yeah. 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 If you yeah. Think yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of like Muslim population of Punjab, Punjab went to the other side. Right. Also taking. A lot of meat along with them. Right. We need to find a chai place. Right. After a short walk, we finally found the chai right outside the Kashmiri Vazwan restaurant. Inke chai hai, but I don't know. It's namkeen or. Do you want to try here? Yeah, sure. Do cup de lijiye. Is th that seems so like the one? Here, okay. And we are our Indian croissants. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, keep it on this one. Yeah. Okay. Let's do this. I'm sure there'll be a community who will be like. The croissants came after this. <laughs> and I, 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 I will probably also trust them. Super sweet. <laughs> uh, it's like a chashni. But good to. Ha! Oh, it's damn sweet. Damn sweet. So I have this trick, uh. which I forgot to tell this person, where I say, "Buy half sugar." Because when you say less sugar, nahi hai. Sorry. Cash. Shayad hai mere pas. Aap le liye. So when you say less sugar, they right. put like 10 percent less. Right. But now I've started saying half, half sugar, sugar. Oh. which is like such a clear way of clear communicating way of, yeah. that I really want really less sugar. <laughs> Here we go. Thank you. Try this. So uh, look at this. Oh. Look at the layers. 
and some dirt. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> How do you just like bite? Don't get better. Like you're then. You heard that crunch? The puff pastry seemed to have more layers than my entire personality. Let me just replay that sound for you. I mean, tell me. Tell me if I'm lying. And we paid a total of 20 rupees. That's like uh, one third of a dollar. Yeah, one one third of a dollar for four pastries. If you want to get for four pastries that we bought. I suddenly love this chai. <laughs> Thanks for making it super sweet. Hey, he gave us extra biscuits. Did we order them? I have no idea. And but it has a almond on it. We paid just twenty rupees. <laughs> we did pay. We paid twenty rupees. That's it. And he gave us four biscuits which have a full almond on it. Had to roast it. <laughs> Well, yes, sir. <laughs> Just, I think he's talking to me because I'm not like any money anymore. So. The Kashmiri Vazwa restaurant was also serving Kashmiri tea, which I have to say I'm not really fond of. It's like a milk tea that contains salt instead of sugar. Anurag wanted to give it a try, but I think he had the same reaction as mine. What is this? It's Kashmiri Nunchai. Kashmir's brand. We'll give it a little. चावड़ी बाजार but we can walk till there and see if uh, we need a rickshaw okay uh, oh where is that dukan aage hai uh, i just hope it's open yaar oh no that'll be sad because uh, i don't know how many people come for a kulfi in the morning like us <laughs> yeah that's what that's what uh sadly we were out of luck that day and the store was closed i mean it's an odd time to eat kulfi no sane person eats kulfi in the morning but we do i wish so, i had a camera today eh banda hai bhai okay kude mar mohan lal in the situation yeah i i know what you mean I, look I at that guava yeah they basically oh i i haven't probably i've had it here okay or i may have seen a video right or something but they like freeze the thing inside the fruit right no no that's a separate ones those ones that's very common but these ones like you yeah. see in the top left yeah so they basically are frozen uh, like a imagine a puree of fruit but like a they, sorbet they use uh, they cut it they use fruit as the mold right no they those are special ones that's just like i think that's I a show off i'm not like that fond special. of that much yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i, I i'm like, fond no, of no, this I'm one judging you now i know i like that I <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. so they they uh, they have like all of them flavors it looks good <laughs> i mean that's the only thing i can <laughs> say when uh, when this place is damn kick up khulega Oh man what do you think so we had to head back and get the podcast recorded and now to the actual podcast
Vivek, welcome to the podcast. Happy we are doing this and I'm glad it's happening in Delhi. Yep, and I think uh, it was great hanging out in Old Delhi before this podcast in the morning and uh, having some Nihari which uh, people might hear about. Yeah, for me I'm already like content with the day, <laughs> especially that Nihari and the fact that we were able to be at time to get it. Yeah. generally that's the time that it gets over but yeah i know i mean last time when i had gone there uh, i reached at 5:30 am mm-hmm. and then you know there was no meat it was just like gravy and i was <laughs> like okay fine that's good too i mean but today like we of course weren't on schedule <laughs> and we were late and we were still able to uh, get our hands on it so yeah i'm very happy so anurag uh, before we start the podcast while i was researching about you My sources told me that there's something really special about the car you drive. I didn't get any more details about it, but I'm really curious. What what's the thing about that car? Wow, uh this is the first time I'm kind of speaking about it. I also don't post much about it, but I'm kind of happy to talk about it now. Um I basically own a 1974 uh, W123 Mercedes. Um and yeah, I mean um, it's an old car. Uh, I was always into vintage cars. I wanted to own one. So as soon as I start, as I started earning money I was like yeah this is the first thing I'm going to get. <laughs> of course I couldn't get it as my first thing because it takes a lot of research and persistence and patience to actually find one that works. Um as you can imagine this is my daily car I also drive it um, you know I mean of course pre pandemic I used to drive it to work every day. Right. Occasionally it breaks down. <laughs> uh but yeah I mean that's the fun. Um I'm not much into the newer cars and the newer design i like old cars i like uh, vintage cars i like the beauty uh, especially the interiors of that car it's like uh, a beautiful like leather yeah i saw some pictures of it like it's just uh, so dreamy and it kind uh, of transports you i i i am i'm really into old things in general like even if we were doing it this at my house mm. uh, you know you would have bumped into things that i you know collected from san francisco etc like for example i have a lot of radios Um, I also have other artifacts. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite city, for that matter, is uh, Calcutta, oh. which also is kind of synonymous of like old <laughs> times, right? It kind of transports you. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of wanted to own a thing, like a large thing, right? <laughs> If that makes sense. So that's why I drive that car. Yeah, I love it. And uh, you grew up in Moga, which is a small city in Punjab. Uh, there's nothing special about it, but I also learned that your mom made you try your hands on cooking. when you were a kid and uh, she was a big inspiration behind your interest in culinary arts now can you tell us about growing up in moga and also about the things uh, that you got to cook when you were a kid yeah as you rightly pointed out moga is not particularly a fascinating place to grow up right um you know it's like i mean you are from punjab you yeah. know uh, you know how punjab is like totally <laughs> especially like motivations of a kid are in of punjab. course driven by people around you so you are like uh phone lena hai gaddi leni hai uh canada jana canada <laughs> nahi i mean i i at least i was not fascinated by that but right. definitely was very much driven by a lot of like material things um and I, i mean it's the truth it's it's being around uh, you know a certain set of kids like i i remember when i came to nid and i had these um, you know a lot of tamilian and mallu friends hmm. and like i remember one of my friends alice like she just gets up one day picks up a violin and starts playing it right which is one of the most complicated instruments to play absolutely and i never knew about it like i knew her for 8 months by then and yeah. i was like wow 
I said like, yeah, I mean, my mom, you know, wanted me to, you know, learn instruments and she knew a couple of other instruments and I was like, wow. And I remember my childhood where, you know, Bolt chalana seekna. Bolt chalalo. I mean, I learned to ride a bike at the age of 13. I mean, I don't recommend it. Yeah. I learned to drive a car at the age of 15. Uh, I, I taught my father how to drive a car, which is quite interesting. <laughs> like we bought a car. Uh, both of us didn't know how to drive. Right. I hustled and, you know, kind of figured it out. Then I taught him how to drive. That's uh, like Punjab for you. <laughs> that's so Punjab. Yeah. I, I mean, you're right. And then, I mean, for us, a lot of exposure used to happen when you used to go for to Delhi. So my Masi um, and her family, extended family lived in Delhi. Every summer vacation, we would go to Delhi. Mm. Which is where we'll like suddenly get exposed to so much. Right. Moga was, you know, extremely basic. <laughs> for the for a lack of a better explanation. Right. Also like about your interest in cooking. I think it, it's interesting because my mom has a huge, huge role to play. Because as kid, I think my I and my mom had a very beautiful relationship. Most of it was constructed inside a kitchen. Right. Which was interesting because, you know, I I remember the structure of our house. It was a small house. There was a drawing room where, uh, you know, my father and my uh, younger brother, Ashish, uh, both of them used to watch TV. And I used to see my mother is making rotis and sabji in the kitchen. From the kitchen, you couldn't view like what's happening in the drawing room. So you you can't view what's happening on the TV, etc. And I think, I don't know if I was like, I had those sort of sensibilities as a kid, but I, I just felt that mom was like, you know, by herself in the kitchen. So I st- started spending more time in the kitchen, which basically meant after coming back from school, we'll start preparing dinner at seven, eight, whatever. And then I'll go into the kitchen and I'll just be there with her. I used to sit on the shelf, you hmm. know, hmm. and just, just, you know, watch mom doing things. And one of the days she's like, uh, help me. Nanni atta gunde. That's your nickname? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> now people yeah. know. I hope you only have like three listeners. But <laughs> I know for a fact it's not true. But, uh, you know, you know, it's basically I, I was making dough. Mm. Uh, and I started to uh, make dough every single day. And I got better. Pehla din was of course like, you know, putting some wrong... I, I mean, she would put the proportions, but I'll make something like... I mean, talking technically, if I say the gluten structure is kind of developed, but it's not like made into a dough. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, like right, it, right. It's all, it, it, it all came together, but like it's not looking good, which basically means you can't like convert it into roti. So she'll do her final yeah. thing on it. But I think I learned over the time and I became like the official like atta gundoing, <laughs> the dough making person, right. uh, you know, for dinner. And that's the most difficult part in the kitchen, to be honest, for a kid, I, I've realized. Yeah, like. I mean, um, I think... A lot of my obsession with bread, I had a bread making phase, hmm. uh, and I think for me it was particularly easier than many other people who got into it. Hmm. Even the most experienced cooks, um, you know, sourdough does take time and patience. Even pizzas, I had a pizza phase which was also so much driven around the dough. And I always found it so natural, like right. it's a second nature for me. Like I always think, yeah, this is, yeah, I mean, dough, yeah, dough this is just like the old times. Yeah, I mean, dough is... I mean, of course, there's so much science around it and people will be like, oh, you know, this is... No, but the arts of it, like how to really put... Yeah, how to know that it's done, for example. Exactly. exactly. It it only comes with practice and so many people, you know, take time to develop that. And I always kind of had that sensibility. And it's because, of course, doing that every single day. So I think that and then to, you know, making a tadka for the dal. And slowly and slowly, I spent a lot of time in the kitchen, which is also why... I don't watch a lot of media because I didn't watch a lot of media growing up. Because mm. I am I am in the kitchen. And the TV is happening somewhere else. Yeah. So for me, I'm never too like, 
like i haven't watched any of the shows that are very popular mm-hmm. i do watch a lot of like talk shows etc but i don't watch like you know any popular shows that people do and i'm like uh, i know i'm sorry i shouldn't ex- exist in the world but yeah i mean right i <laughs> so i also learned that uh, your mom had an interesting way of cooking that she had two recipes for every dish what was that about i would like to start she is a brilliant cook and everyone will be like yeah my mom is a brilliant cook too right but <laughs> but i can prove that my mom is a brilliant cook because i think there is uh, you know cooking with you know full fledged sort of set of ingredients and then there is cooking with constraints mm-hmm. right uh, cooking with constraints is where i feel like the creativity is actually happening right like absolutely yeah so um, like she'd never like send us to buy things mm. she'll be like oh okay chalo kuch kuch there is stuff right like oh today we are making this sabji i don't have this particular ingredients i'm going to swap this because whatever right and i think that's also something that i kind of learned from her mm-hmm. that's something i practice a lot like at least for the food that i cook for myself right i'm sure everyone talks about refrigerator cooking which is like oh you know i saw these ingredients i made something i can at least say that i also make it tasty i <laughs> <laughs> i get i hope so saying. but anyways uh, uh, what i mean is like uh, she's able to kind of do that magic uh, hmm. you know with limited set of ingredients which, limited which set comes of from masalas. like really good understanding of the ingredient it's not easy like it's um, yeah one is like you learned it from your mom Uh, i mean maybe she, you know it was passed passed from her mom like recipes but other is like you know just knowing how to cook and i think that's something she was really good at right and there's another thing that uh, is a punjabi phenomena or north indian phenomena that's called chabil every summer we see the streets of punjab uh, having stalls of chabil i i also learned that you also partaked in that a lot Uh, can you tell our listeners about chabil and about how was that interesting for you so just for listeners just to kind of define chabil i think uh chabil is basically ruwaza with a little bit of milk and water and it's lot of ice so basically you kind of make like a ruwaza drink out of it and of course you know like up north it gets extremely hot in the summers so people just like serve that you know for free on the streets yes it's like it's like on the highways it's like in mohallas uh, and it's something that people practice this is a sikh tradition like yes. it's a part of sikhism in general sikhism is so much about giving right mm. i think that's a good part about growing up in punjab right just being around a particular set of people who believe in giving uh, even through langar and uh, people don't understand the secularism of punjab how it is you know there's no boundaries between like people who are of different religions and like everybody so partakes true. in everybody's so uh, true tradition. so true i am not a i am not a sikh i am a hindu um whatever that means <laughs> but uh yeah i i go to gurdwaras because i genuinely believe in it and i feel like you know the fact that it's so much about giving and they only talk about that i think that's kind of be- have become a part of my personality in a good way right for sure and i think that's that's a good part of growing up in punjab i know i started with like you know whatever place to grow up in but i feel like those are good things that you know came from growing up in punjab right and also like punjab secularism is so interesting that my cousins used to participate in ram leela as a character of ramayan and uh, which is beautiful right yeah which is very beautiful which is quite unique so tell us about chabir and how was that experience like yeah <laughs> I mean Shabil is like my experience of becoming like a head cook chef whatever that means <laughs> uh as a kid mm. uh you know so for Shabil of course someone has to make sure it tastes right 
So making a very large batch. Yeah. You know, making I don't know thirty liters of that, or I don't know even more. I can't even. Yeah. It's a huge tub, is what yeah. I would say. Yeah, it's like fifty liters. Some. Perhaps. Yeah. And um, someone has to make sure it tastes right. Someone has to make sure that it's probably better than the other mohalla because you know <laughs> mohallas get popular for you know the best shabil. So people would you know look forward to it. The more popular your shabil is, like that's <laughs> that's the kind of competition <laughs> we had uh, you know on the shabil front. And I was. um you know my mom would put me in charge of those things so the way shabil works is generally driven by kids in mohallas right and we'll go like to every house basically looking for some funds funds doesn't mean fundraising it's basically 20 rupees i guess <laughs> per house and you know you probably gather 500 rupees and then you're like yeah let's buy ingredients <laughs> and make shabil happen on a weekend right and then one person has to make sure it tastes right i was that person imagine like a I think ten or twelve year old kid. Right. Right. Um, imagine this ten uh, to twelve year old kid, you know, who's making this huge batch, making sure it's tasting right. Right. Also have a huge responsibility to make it better than other muhallas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And I think I was doing an okay job because they would call me back every single time, right? Like so. <laughs> That's a good I, I, I presume that I was doing a good job uh, yeah. with that. So yeah, I think that was a. that was my exposure to kind of like cooking in large proportions right for sure and also there's a interesting thing about punjab which i'm just going to add to this podcast because uh, people don't understand punjab is a very vegetarian state <laughs> and in fact uh, recent uh, i forgot who which stats i was reading some stats i was reading online it's among the top 3 vegetarian states it's the second most vegetarian second most after uh, rajasthan yes, yes you are right. correct And the third was Haryana, if I and like then comes like Gujarat and all, which people presume that presume it will probably be yeah. on number one. But anyways, uh, yes. But such a weird thing. I know you also grew up as vegetarian, right? I was a vegetarian for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. And uh, school the baacho Punjab the munde ki kar dene? Gedi kar dene. Gedi the nahi. मतलब after school, like after they have done with high school. Punjabi munde jande ne engineering karan. To give you an idea what I said in Punjabi, I just asked Anurag about him pursuing engineering after his high school. Engineering karan ya fir Canada. Canada. Do hi option ne. And tusi pehla wala chunya. Haan ji. Haan ji. And that's the path you chose. I mean I was sent on that path I would say right. because um I was not particularly good with studies. Mm-hmm. Um you know I got like 66% in 10th. Oh, okay. No, and nice. then my father was so happy, I can't tell you. Oh, no. Yeah, that's he, a twist I remember he bought me like a hoodie. <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, wow, you got 66. Thank God." <laughs> and uh of course in 10 plus 2, I found this teacher. Right. His name is Gobind Virji. Hmm. And he kind of got me into maths. I don't think he got me into maths. I think he got me into just being more mature and disciplined. Mhm. So, you know, that's the time i kind of like became a little bit mature um in studies and i got a lot of marks in 10 plus 2 i got like 88 imagine wow. like a 66% kid getting yeah. 88% i also topped in math in punjab damn yeah i mean <laughs> that's a twist in the story i know i know it's not a flex yeah, i'm just saying for it's for punjab it, it's not a flex no no it's not a flex <laughs> it's it's more i mean it's a testament to gobind virji who kind of got me interested into yeah just i wouldn't say studies i think it's more about like doing something with your life right <laughs> if i will you know right. and uh, i mean after getting that sort of a result of course my parents were in disbelief but i also probably thought that i'll do good in engineering the dream was shattered very soon when i gave 
not my flex but uh, my state rank in ai triple e which i accidentally appeared for was uh, under 200 wow you should have probably <laughs> done engineering that was just a fluke i think but anyway it is not a fluke trust me <laughs> it's a very hard exam yeah i think i probably didn't even know one answer like i probably guessed so whatever i read was mostly how did the future look like at that point bleak um <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know and what did you decide to do with that bleak future that you saw so i basically gave another state exam right i don't know what it was called i got a decent rank because it was based on like 10 plus 2 syllabus okay got it you know weird thing about the whole education system especially around engineering is that whatever you study in those textbooks that are given by you know cbse ncert they don't mean anything in, in the competitive exams right right that's that that was always strange to me like yeah uh, i realized much later that you <laughs> you have to prepare separately for i that. know and school i mean no one goes to school is another thing i realized later right? i was from moga so i didn't know much <laughs> and i was also yeah. not like really looking forward to make anything out of my life so it was mm. interesting so anyways i got an interesting that in the state test mm-hmm. and then i got admission in some college in jalandhar which was called dav and then that was the only option honestly i didn't know any better so i just went i was like okay yeah looks like this is somewhere i can spend my next four years so you spend that in jalandhar which I is now it. my hometown by the way wow yeah <laughs> jalandhar is dear to me but i am sure you are not going to like my recommendation because i was a vegetarian at the time but the noodle burger in jalandhar is amazing noodle burger in moga is the best but it's it's actually yeah, not up for debate we should <laughs> <laughs> we should have a noodle burger off well <laughs> sounds um, like a good yeah thing to do yeah like noodle burger contest anyway so you spent your four years studying engineering which you had no interest in yes, and uh, that's correct I also learned that you were dabbling in the world of graphic design or you didn't know the term but I didn't then, I didn't yeah. I was I was designing magazines um you know like a monthly magazine Tell us about your first gig that you got Actually and how did it even it's happen It's interesting so basically uh, you know there was another college in Patiala called Thapar University it's fairly popular it's yeah, actually I've, a good college I've heard for about that one Yeah it's actually a good college for doing engineering whoever wants to and of course you have to qualify for that which I didn't they had a fest where there was a photoshop course mm-hmm. and then i was like wow yeah i've heard of this tool and i know it's about you know designing at the time that's what i knew about the whole world and i was like okay i'm going to try it out and you know me and a friend of mine we just signed up for the course i remember it was 1500 bucks a lot of money at the time right. but i was like okay cool it's interesting let's do it anyways i was not interested in what i was getting to know in the engineering college so i was like okay I'm going to try something else. We went for that course. I got really interested in the tool. I was so fascinated by all the things you could do with it. I also think that course was very well designed. It was like a 4 hours course. Right. But they talked from like, you know, shapes to colors to even doing 3D in Photoshop. Oh. I mean not the 3D that Yeah, as we know it. Yeah, not like Cinema 4D right, sort of a right, situation, right. but like 
you know, just giving shadows so that something looks 3D, right? What version of Photoshop were you using? Seven yeah. or perhaps before. I don't remember. Oh, that. okay. Yeah, it was a ugly looking Photoshop. Now, of course, the UI of all of these tools are, you know, much better and whatnot. But um, I learned to just use the tool. And I liked it so much that for the first time in my life, I actually enjoyed doing something. So, you know, I did have a laptop and rather than watching, you know, content or doing, you know, random things that engineering students do to pass time, I thought I'm going to dabble with Photoshop and I can't show the designs. They were all very ugly. I mean, I can't even look at them now, but at that time, that's what looked like good looking design for me. So I used to make this magazine that no one would read, but I was like, I mean, just I, enjoying it. I was liking it. I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to make a magazine. Then I'm going to get it printed. Then I'm going to put it in the library, you know, and wow. <laughs> of course there was a magazine hmm. and someone else was taking care of design, right? whatever that means in that term of that magazine. And then I kind of took over and I really enjoyed that. No one ever read that magazine. It's it's not because of what I did, uh, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it and I felt like, oh, wow, this is something I'm really liking. And at that point, I think I drew this graphic. I mean, I was also decent at drawing. Okay. I used to think I'm, I was very good, <laughs> but I was decent at drawing. Yeah. I could like, you know, think about shadows. I, my, my coloring skills were not bad. I could make things work. And then at the time I just made some graphic, which was about, you know, wearing seat belts. Mm. Uh, it was all drawing. Okay. And then I sent it to, I don't know, DGP of Chandigarh police. Oh, okay. I, as a kid, right? You just right, like right, right. find random emails. You just think that it might just work out. <laughs> yeah. You send it to a lot of people. Right. Also, like, emails was my fun thing. Like, I used to send emails to everyone. Mm. Like, I liked emailing as a concept. Cause, yeah, even I love it. Yeah. So, I just wrote an email to this person and their secretary or someone replied and they're like, wow, we would love to print this. And then I was like, wow. And we will also pay you. And they paid 8K, which was a lot of money at the time. Hmm. 8K in college is like a party. Yeah, I used to get 3K a month from my father. Okay. Yeah, I mean. Which was a lot of money. So, 8K was quite a lot of money and uh, you know they said oh you know you need to recreate this digitally and send like a high resolution and we will print this can you tell us about what that graphic depicted was it too cheesy i'm not to proud work? of it but it was like personification of a seat belt like the two ends were trying to kind of meet oh, okay okay sort got of it. a situation got it. and they kind of liked it mm. i wouldn't approve it but they <laughs> did and they were like oh we want to print it i was like wow okay and then you know i of course had these Photoshop skills and then I took the graphic, I, you know, drew it digitally, did some nice whatever type, hmm. sent it to them and then radio silence for two weeks. Okay. And I thought they didn't like it. They probably liked the sketch more. But did they pay you? I'll, t I'll, I'll come to that. <laughs> then the secretary sends me a photograph hmm. of a hoarding oh. that was printed. Okay. It was blurred. <laughs> oh, damn. Of course, because the it DPI. was in Photoshop. Yeah. yeah, the DPI was really yeah, yeah, I didn't understand those things. But uh -huh. he was very proud of it. He was like, mm. wow, this, look at this. And now people will be more inclined to wear seatbelts, like whatever. He wrote nice things. Right. It was, it was sent by the DGP. Mm. And then, uh, then they said, oh, uh, by the way, we'll be sending you the remuneration of this, mm. you know, through whatever. And then I got it in cash. Mm. It was interesting. And then when that happened, someone from Hindustan Times, HT City, hmm. which is a newspaper, which is a newspaper, Hindustan Times, they, they reached out to me and they said, we want to do a story about you. Wow. 
and i was like why <laughs> <laughs> then she was like oh i saw this and i reached out to the traffic police mm. and they said it's done by this person i still don't know why people thought it was a nice graphic <laughs> like i cannot fathom why that happened me after every presentation okay. yeah perhaps <laughs> so uh, anyways she reached out to me and she was like i want to do a story can you travel to ludhiana oh you went and there we'll do a photograph of you and then we'll do a live sort of interview i'll make notes and they'll be published in a newspaper Mm, which is not far ludhiana is not far yeah 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 it was one hour and i was so excited i called my dad my dad got the car to jalandhar i was like chalo ludhiana chale wow because <laughs> he was like what are you serious someone is like like publishing a story about you and then he came mm. we went to ludhiana we went to the office they took a photo like a camera nice proper camera yeah yeah it's a it was a, yeah and then she did an interview and it was called dual roles it kind of stayed with me honestly i'll tell you why she wrote about me being an engineer which i was not and a designer who is contributing in this space you know and of course i only did one graphic but she of course talked about oh this person is working with the police of chandigarh and all those things and doing good while he is an engineering student and is bright which i was not all of that <laughs> and you know how stories are right like yeah. and then she was like do you want to give a link of a facebook page hmm. i was like i don't have a facebook page facebook was a new thing there was no instagram etc right right facebook was like becoming the primary thing yeah yeah, yeah. and then point. she said Do you want to do a Facebook page link on this story? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I made some random Facebook page, posted same two, three things that I had made on that page, and then the story came out. It was on the front page of a HTCT. So HTCT, of course, there is Hindustan Times, and there is the fun part of Hindustan Times that we used to look forward to. At least right. I used to right, on right, a right, Saturday, Sunday, and it was on the front page across Punjab and Delhi. Damn. And so many people called my father and my mother. they were so proud my father still has a cutting of that you know newspaper thing and then you know he got it framed and all uh, but the facebook page is interesting so yeah. it was the at the end of it of course the newspapers used to have a lot of readership at the time and so many people followed me i suddenly had like 30610 followers just that afternoon wow new found fame <laughs> yeah i was like i don't know what else to post so i made more graphics and i posted and people engaged and i thought i am a designer i should look for a job <laughs> which i was completely wrong about um and then you know we had these two seniors one person is called sahil and another bovin they were both preparing for this design school okay i was like what does that mean what's what a design school is, uh, i yeah. just learned like just like that isn't there a photoshop school i know yeah. <laughs> i know right i was like what is a design school what does that even mean and then they were preparing for nid and they were preparing for iit hmm and then iit as in idc yes which is the idc mumbai center. but also iit delhi right which is do they have also yes. designs okay. iit delhi has iit uh guwahati has guwahati also has yes guwahati i know about so yeah yeah even delhi has is what i know i know okay. people who have graduated from there oh interesting i didn't know about nid but for me it was like oh iit of course i know this is something <laughs> i definitely don't qualify for in this life so right. <laughs> i was like okay through design maybe i can uh, you yeah. know and then um, my father and my my father actually has been a huge part in just deciding or helping me in my career and not like he's like guiding me anything but he just like lets me do my mm -hmm. thing which is good he's proud of you and uh, yeah I mean not not at the time but uh, <laughs> he was like uh, I told him you know this there is this school and I told him about NID and he was like unimpressed 
then i told him about iit and design and he was mm. like yeah yes you should go for iit so nid becomes the second or third criteria so, yeah, yeah, after yeah. Uh, iit which i realized IIT. later that you know i mean uh, of course there are all kinds of yeah, yeah. schools of thoughts around it but yeah. uh, over the time i realized you know nid is such a good school and then there was iit so i started preparing first because i thought it's going to be a difficult one mm. so my last 6 months of engineering which is internship i and my friend my friend wanted to prepare for mba and i wanted to prepare for nid which was a very unusual choice right. for many people in punjab in punjab especially yes, you, are, <laughs> you are right thank you for mentioning that such an important detail anyway so i started preparing for nid and i found this one person where i could go for drawing classes so we basically faked the whole internship <laughs> it's true things to tell in the podcast yeah go for it <laughs> we faked the whole thing he was preparing for his mba mm. and i was preparing for nid just by going to a drawing class it was interesting so i think i learned a lot about 3d drawing etc perspective this yes that, yes and my perspectives were very spot on mm. and i thought i'm a product designer i mean industrial product designer yeah the first thing you do is draw a car did you draw a car i draw a shopter in the right perspective i'm proud of that no that's something yes <laughs> yes it, it yeah it it rested on a table Hmm. it was the right perspective my teacher anil vadera he was very proud of me he was like yeah you should become a product designer hmm. i think he of course overlooked the fact that my physics is really weak <laughs> like it's, it's i like don't understand they... yeah i don't understand physics at all like i know how it hmm. works hmm. but i can't like yeah i just can't so i started preparing for becoming a product designer which okay. means countless number of sheets of physical products and then that's what i did 6 months started morning at like 9 am and the day at 6 pm and just draw and he'll be there right. and he'll just keep telling me oh you know you can improve your shadow and all of those things i think i got really good at drawing mm. as a result which i realized later that it's more about just expressing drawing is a lot about just expressing right you have an idea how do you express it to other one i feel like drawing is a good sort of a medium right so good and you don't have to be very good at it yeah you uh, could good also be to... scribbling and it communicates but i got to a point which where things looked good right uh, and i thought i'm going to become a product designer right so i applied in idc and i applied to nid i didn't get through idc but i did get a call for studio test both for product design as well as the second choice which was digital product design which is interaction design now Okay. In NID, hmm. which was your second choice, right? Like- second choice was totally driven by someone else, which is funny because I didn't know. I was I only discovered that design is a discipline that you can study. Hmm. So I only knew product design because I was drawing three D three like you know just. It seems real also at that yeah. point of time. Yeah, right? designing like products. Cars. किसी ने तो design की होगी. हाँ. ये किसी ने तो design किया होगा. Also, there were not many digital products. Yeah. And, and also, time. like when you see phones yeah. were new and all of those. Or things. you look at the interface. You're like, ये तो it's easy. Like, what's the big deal? You put this there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, at that age, right? No, no, you're right. You're right. I mean, also at that time, phones phones were not that big of a thing. Like, I don't right. think apps were a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, that was still the SMS uh, era. No, I'm not that old. We had phones. I mean, I'm your age, so we had phones. But we had phones, but we didn't. I mean, we uh, didn't have app stores and all. We had like Samsung's very swanky looking phones with apps that they had installed. Right. We didn't have Android for that matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't have iOS. Uh, iOS mean going mainstream. We just heard about iPhone. Yes, we knew thing. iPhone is like a BMW of phones. Is that's what I knew right. at that time. Like, right back then. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So. anyways so i thought i'm going to apply for 
product design and then another discipline i had a friend who was a designer we were living in a pg there was another person who was a designer he was a graphic designer his girlfriend was a very well regarded designer in that circle so i just called her i was like hey i want to fill this another discipline and she was like she looked at the website and she was like this digital design experience looks like an interesting course and you should do it and i was like what is it about because i also <laughs> didn't read it on the website and she was like oh it's about digital prototyping and whatever i didn't understand what she said so i just applied i was like okay you have to choose a second option right costs no money let's do it let it be decided by somebody else yeah <laughs> and i got called for a studio test to nid i went to nid paldi ahmedabad i was very very fascinated by it and then i went to the studio test and they butchered me of course the studio test was nice where you you know create physical products right. out of things you know you you use certain materials you cre- create things out of it but then there is also an interview where they butchered me because my portfolio was filled with a lot of like you know interesting looking things which were 3d like a water bottle if you actually fill water in it it will probably not have the right center of gravity sort right. of a situation but it looks very cool looks you know what cool. i mean <laughs> yeah so they butchered me on that and i kind of knew that this is not going to work out thankfully it didn't because i would have turned out to be a extremely bad product designer i feel like it's i mean knowing basic physics is such a important trait yeah like i for mean, creating physical products it's similar to how people want to be a game designer but when it comes to actually developing games it's a different game like i mean yeah you're right you're right and then uh, i went to this another interview in bangalore nid bangalore you know i did well in the studio we went to the interview they treated me really well and i think i just got drawn by that i was like yeah this was a nice interview these are nice people and i think the only thing they liked about me was hard work because i think i told you right i was drawing from morning to evening yeah and my portfolio was i don't know 40 drawings or 50 drawings of different ideas that would change the world <laughs> <laughs> you know and then they were like why do you have so many things in your portfolio because none of this is client work hmm which was not even expected but like why do you have so many concepts right I told them I was drawing for the last 6 months this is the <laughs> best ones and then I think they just were really impressed that and I was a young fellow I came out of engineering nothing in between especially for masters in NID I think they take people who left their job well paying job to come pursue design a little bit more because you know uh, they are like oh okay these people are serious others might be like uh, maybe this person didn't get a job and now applying for masters which was mm-hmm. a case for me by the way but <laughs> but uh i think they liked that i was hard working so they said okay cool and they treated me really nicely so i was like whatever this course is i'm going to do this <laughs> also i of course i was a waitlist in you know that product design right um in paldi and then that also got cleared but i was just drawn by the people and i said this is a nice campus i love bangalore hmm. which i realized later is i mean i only saw the flyovers i only saw the nice things <laughs> and then um i was like oh this is the city i want to be in these are the people i want to be surrounded by i'll learn a lot mm. and i think that that i made up my mind and when the results came like this was like a clear thing because they you know gave me full marks in the interview full marks in studio mm. and it was a very clear one so i got a seat so i thought yeah this is the one mm. this is what i'm going to do i learn what it is right. when i go there right <laughs> So Anurag you are like the first guest on the podcast that's from the user experience or product design discipline 
and uh, which is kind of strange because I'm already past 30 episodes, 30 plus episodes. But for the first time, I've gotten somebody who I would call a user experience designer. So for the younger listeners who don't understand this discipline, can you uh, give a really brief introduction about what it is? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'll probably like break it down a bit. Right. So there is UI, which, which is, is user interface. Yes, which is basically you know, elements that make up your website or an app, right? The button, the form, the fields, the typography, etc. And then there is UX, which is the experience of using that product. For me, or in general, UI is basically like a subset of UX. Because UI is probably made of components, very similar to, let's say, brand. The color has a certain emotion. The way things look have a certain emotion. The way things are placed will kind of define how people are going to interact with your product. Now, product designer as a term is interesting. Which is the relatively newer term that has become mainstream now for this particular field. Yeah, I mean, I also feel it's right for the time we are living in, right? I mean, 10 years ago, you were using, let's say, a speaker or a cassette recorder or whatever. That's a physical product and that's what we call a product. But now you're using Uber, which is also a product. So And we're using Spotify, which, which is also kind a of product. replaces a physical yes. uh, device, right? Yes. So now we are living in this world where there are physical products and there are digital products. And they are experiences in themselves. Yeah. And the latter, like the digital products are actually becoming our first uh, products that we own. Exactly. In that, that particular domain. Exactly. And then there is also an intersection. For example, a phone is a physical product, but the way you're using it and, you know, what the kind of things that you're doing in your phone are digital products. Yeah, 99% of the things we interact with are digital in the exactly. phone. Exactly, yes. So I think there is an industrial product designer and there is a digital product designer. But I feel like they just like kind of shortened it. It kind of became like a natural evolution of the word mm-hmm. where like product designer kind of became a term. I also think product manager who are the people who kind of like spend time on gathering the requirements, defining briefs, etc. was also a term which already existed. So I think our design world kind of borrowed that. And I kind of like it. Hmm. So you like to use the term product designer for yourself. I mean, UX is an acceptable term. But I also think when we think about digital products, they are not only digital products anymore. So many examples are, for example, let's say Airbnb. You know, it's sort of at an intersection of digital and physical, right? Because... Hmm. For example, you are booking the house that you like on an app, but the experience is the whole package, which is, you know, what you saw on the website or the app when you were booking it, but also your experience of the stay. So, you know, it's kind of transcending between like a digital and a physical space, if you think about it. So the experience is much more than what's happening in the phone. Yeah. And I feel like product designers are taking care of that. And which is why rightfully so, I feel like that's a good term to, you know, call these set of designers who are doing these things. Right. And I also think like uh, if 90% of the products that we interact with are becoming digital, so rightly, let's yeah, use that. Might as well just might take as that as term. Well. I, I feel like it's still like there is, as like as I said, as there is, you know, there's always going to be like industrial product design and digital product design Yeah, that will stay. Yeah. And uh, how would you tally your experience at NID with respect to this particular discipline? I feel like NID is a lot about, you know, just putting the right set of people together. Mm. That's how I see it. I'm sure there are courses, the way they are designed, some of them are dated, some of them are relevant, but mostly dated is how I see it. Because of course, this field is like, you know, if you think about digital product design in general, it's changing by every month, right? So it's, it's hard for schools to catch up. But what I like is 
it's putting the right set of people together you know for example you know i had a lot of people that i learned from uh, there are people who had spent time in the industry and had come for masters there are people who are really good at 3d there are people who are really good at uh, drawing there are people who are really good at you know I, i had a friend who was a graphic designer right and he had worked as a graphic designer for about 4 to 5 years oh. and the level of detail in his presentations were always used to inspire me so these are the bits i think that you learn and that's how i see design school for right. me it was interesting because my life was very much constrained to being in moga then in delhi during my summer vacations and then in bombay once in a while where you know we used to travel as a family i hadn't seen any anything else and i, I hadn't experienced any other culture when i came to nid it just gets a lot of these cultures together in one space and nid bangalore is quite an intimate space it's a small sort of a campus it's also almost like a large house right mm. and you know um, most of my friends were mallus tamilians bengalis and the kind of exposure i had yeah you know through food and also like from north india once you travel south india i think it's a entirely different world to some extent like yeah i mean that. i'm going to say it but like when you're living up north you have a very skewed view of you know the world around you right and then i think for me it kind of opened up right i i went to this school where people were you know from across india and i think i saw way more life than i had up till that point and also i think for me i also have to thank to all these people for the exposure that i got you know from a food point of view as well even though i was still a vegetarian up till that point but just like you know getting to taste food that was beyond what i could understand was interesting and also i learned that during your post grad you got to study as an exchange student in canada or canada as we call it in punjab <laughs> at ocad university and that's where you accidentally tried meat for the first time and uh, tell us about your experience of studying in canada at ocad and also about how you became a meat eater that's an interesting story and of course like like you r- rightly said like so many people oh he's finally going to canada he's never going to come back <laughs> i was like no i'm going <laughs> i'm going as an exchange student it's a very respectful way of you know visiting a country but um so i went to ocad university uh we got into this it's course called ocad not ocad no it's called ocad yes uh, damn i ontario <laughs> college of art and design and um i and a friend of mine shilpa we both got into this course called uh, digital futures okay and uh, yeah it was interesting it was my first time going abroad i think that was you know one of the most interesting experiences because we also went in january when it's super cold damn canada and january yes like yes that. i mean i think i learned a lot about yeah just life <laughs> in canada because i think you know you are in an interesting course but you are also you know in that sort of a weather hmm you're hmm. trying to like be happy when the whole city is looking a certain way right like yeah we are accustomed to so much of sun in yes. india that it's becomes a pain sun when... is somehow synonymous of happiness in general right like yeah, the yeah of course when is when it's overcast you can see the city in hmm. a certain way and for us it's a first time we are you know traveling abroad so we were trying super hard to be happy we were trying super hard to you know continue our exploration we were trying super hard to uh make sure we make the most out of this experience right i think we used to take a subway to our school and you know on the subway station there was this place where we used to get jamaican patties they were quite nice they were like these turmeric looking um you know almost like so the dough has turmeric i think okay what is a jamaican patties like pat- it's patties it's basically a short crust pastry 
uh, with you know filling ranging from you know vegetables to chicken to beef to all kinds of things and you know shilpa used to buy a chicken patty which she loved and i used to buy a vegetable patty which mm. i used to love right and then you know one of the days i was just like looking at the packet and you know i turn it over and i look at it and it says vegetable patty does not mean vegetarian it was some mm-hmm. disclaimer of sorts okay cuz i'm sure so many indians are yeah, yeah yeah living in canada so they probably wanted to put that disclaimer on the packaging and said right it said vegetable patties does not mean it's vegetarian it contains chicken beef and pork fat wow <laughs> i was like everything at once <laughs> too late <laughs> too late yes and also everything right. at once like i am you know as you know like in punjab people who eat meat right probably are only exposed to chicken yeah like uh, also the way punjabis or for that sake north indians i will include people of delhi yes. uh, mostly in it like the way they eat meat is very much like it's some kind of fancy paneer yeah. the preparations are like that there's You're no right. meat yeah. eating culture generic orange for, curry with yeah except for the uh, muslim population in uh, old delhi which is unreal which is unreal which is brilliant yeah right? yeah 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 um so for me it was like wow as a punjabi i also i mean of course like you talked about you know at the start of this podcast we punjab is majority a vegetarian state yeah. and i was a vegetarian and i want to also add to this like the sikhs of punjab are very much vegetarian yes i think there's a uh, weird perception about uh, you're right like sikhs eating a lot of chicken but no like that's that's strange anyway you're right so i was like wow i everything at once i just had a lot of meats that sounds like i've been those... having a lot of meats for about 2 months now that sounds like one of those scenes when uh, you know the protagonist of a story realizes they did something wrong and suddenly i was like, like yeah what the hell <laughs> but anyways uh, i was like cool now it's done so i started eating meat uh, mm. in whatever stay was left in canada right it was about a month i think and then you know and then we started trying all kinds of meat and all all of those things which was interesting i think that's how i turned into a non-vegetarian i always wanted to although i want to add to the podcast that the term non-vegetarian is such a indian term right you're right you're right i i don't think there's another term that can replace it because uh, with the story that you're saying you grew up as vegetarian then became non-vegetarian and this is the term that true, can be true. used but it's such a weird term i generally don't use it i use omnivore or i use uh, meat eater yeah i i like, like i like the term meat eater too yeah meat eater like i think again that's oh. yeah it's sort of a, like an exclusion Hmm. when you say like non vegetarian right like uh anyway so that's how you became non vegetarian yeah or a meat eater now anyways <laughs> i then of course you know i was more open to trying all kinds of things shilpa was eating one of our favorite place was like this chinese place we were living in a chinatown and one of our favorite places were this chinese place where i used to eat egg fried rice and she used to try a lot of different things like she for her the menu was because it was a, it was a very authentic place so you could imagine that for me to even find egg fried rice was more about asking them to exclude meat from a dish right so suddenly the world opened up for me and i was like okay i'm going to try everything that she is eating uh, which was nice but i think only up till a point when i you know spent time in hyderabad is when you know i actually became like a proper meat eater because you know i got exposed to biryani which right. was Of How course. did you reach Hyderabad? So after our, you know, stint at OCAD, I had already gotten selected for this internship at Microsoft. And Microsoft, as you know, the HQ is in uh, Hyderabad. Hyderabad. Yes. In India. Yeah. 
and then um, i had this friend pradeep who was also close to my brother ashish so ashish would visit us and three of us would like go on this food stroll almost every weekend hyderabad is such a amazing city it's the best city. place to be for yeah. food for sure i mean i was so surprised we had amazing punjabi food there too hmm it's very interesting and there were way too many places like it's not like a one off like for example in bangalore i have one place where i order when i am feeling nostalgic but like in hyderabad that wasn't the case i mean there were many places and for uh, meat loving people it's one of the yeah for meat eaters it's like a heaven right because um, especially that style of biryani that's how i kind of started loving meat because mm. they were like so succulent like we, i started with chicken and then i moved on to mutton then i moved on to offal all sort of meats were kind of really introduced to me in hyderabad and i'm very very thankful for that phase can you explain what offal is to people because i i know what offal is but it's not a term that we use in india much yeah offal is basically off cuts of meat for example brain liver even feet yeah like the kind we ate in the morning yes and <laughs> we ate in the morning today yes yeah so um that's where you went full fledged omnivore and uh, yeah apart from you know my food experiences in hyderabad i also think i kind of became a better designer because again i think i was in a school for a very long time and the real world is very very different that's for every yeah every design discipline right you or that's for every discipline in the world i think i agree <laughs> i agree yeah now now having you know been through multiple disciplines i can say that for sure anyway so um i was in microsoft as an intern and microsoft for me was like a school because one you are surrounded by people who are working on real things that actually launch and are being used by users and the other thing is you also get a brief that you have to solve for real users most of the times not everything goes live mm-hmm. but like some of things do go live for example the project i was working on did go live but i don't want to talk about the project but mostly the fact that it was like a school because they used to conduct like a jury of sorts every two weeks where you talk about your progress and the whole of the design studio in microsoft would you know sit and critique your work very similar to a jury in an id exactly right and and it was microsoft uh you know hyderabad has a lot of people from nid so that culture is sort of there hmm. which is i think was a good learning for me like just in becoming a little better designer even uh, if you are able to get that kind of critique in your internship that's a big blessing yeah and i think my project was interesting we were working in motion design for interfaces okay which was a completely new topic for me and imagine like i learned a tool to actually do motion design Mm. but then also realizing that the tool is not enough and then you know learning the principles of motion design i created this project where we used like disney's design principles like animation principles onto interfaces and i did a whole study on that i mean one i was you know thrown into the deep end you know with a project that i had no idea about to like finally figuring out what to do starting with a study like i said right using disney's animation principles applying it to interfaces that already existed in microsoft and showing how you know motion can make a difference in how users perceive interfaces or how they can use interfaces better right and then with that study actually moving into my project it was a 6 months long thing and i think i just learned how you kind of like come out of uncertainty and like make something out of it with a lot of critique that happened Absolutely. you know over that I time and i feel uh, like that definitely made me ready for somewhat ready for the professional world yeah after your 
post grad you got yourself hired at twitter <laughs> this is how i know the story yeah no you're right right like uh, tell us about that and i also learned that you were the only designer at twitter in india at that time yes so how was that like i do have to thank my phase in microsoft for that because when i was looking for people who had done work in motion design on interfaces we i came across this person called paul stamishio and you know he used to talk a lot about his design process and he had a huge section of motion and animation in everything he was doing so everything he was designing in twitter was very very considered which basically means starting from you know the ui of it you know also thinking about motion's implication also using it as you know a tool to make interfaces better so i read a lot of his uh, blogs i was very very drawn by this person and i was very drawn by how design happens at twitter and i didn't know even one place in india that considered when it came to designing interfaces it just felt like a different league altogether because i was at one of the best design houses you know for internship and i kind of felt like you know the person the what this person is writing is a league ahead so someone told me that twitter is opening an office in india hmm. and, and i was so excited what year is it it must be let me guess. i'm really bad with dates I but it, it should be, be somewhere around 2015 you're right you're right, right. You're right. Uh, that was the time I think Twitter was gaining a lot of momentum in India. Now You're it's right. become such a mainstream thing that a lot of news is also reported from the tweets of people. Yes, so, yes. Which was very fascinating about Twitter in general. It had, it always had free marketing because yeah. that bird logo is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Without yeah. them paying for it, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember the those were the times when you could SMS uh, tweet. Yeah, 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 yeah. You remember that? I do, and I also got hired through a similar thing. So okay. Twitter, when they came to India, they bought this company called Zipdial, which made that service of SMS that you're talking about. Oh. So they actually hired that team, which meant like hiring about fifteen to twenty smart people to start the team in India. That's how they came to India. Because I mean, for many people. you could bootstrap the team or you could like you know acquire 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 hire a team which is smart and they also acquired the product mm. you know in the process right anyway so i came to know about this opening i remember it was a lunch conversation um, in microsoft someone said twitter is coming to india and they are opening an, an office and i was like wow i have been reading about this for pretty much all of my internship and i'm 100% want a job here the only problem was they had an opening for a senior designer Of course they wanted a foundation. They didn't want, you know, someone who needs to be trained. Right? So I basically was so obsessed about working at that place that I think I had a lot of job offers from my NID placements and I didn't even look at them. To a point where I had to decline all of them and I had no clarity from Twitter. Because of course, you know, the way job placements work is that you get a job offer and then you have to accept or decline it so that they can pass it on to a waitlist candidate right so i think i had i i'm not going to flex but i had many job offers and i basically had to decline all of them because i had no clarity from twitter so i wrote to the product manager i wrote to every single person that was working in twitter india i think one person replied and he called me to the office just to talk and his way of hiring was very nice his name was kapil khosla very well known product manager and you know he called me to office and he basically you know just chatted with me pretty regularly like not from an interviewing point of view for about an hour or two hours he said i really like how you think i'd love to make a case for you but just know that this is a senior role so you might be hired later or you might have to let go of this opportunity right so 
only on that promise i declined everything because i was so mad about working at this place and then i think they called me multiple times they took multiple interviews of mine i'm sure they were unsure because you know this is just a graduate and they are looking for a foundation you know for this company in india i think at one point they were like this person is too crazy so they just offered me a job and they said we will keep looking for a senior designer you know who can actually establish you know the design culture and other things eventually no one they couldn't find anyone and i don't know what why but they kept interviewing a lot of people so during this time of course um, you know there is always a responsibility to prove to the hq that this center was required in the first place right that basically means there will be projects right that basically also means that there will be projects that they initially planned they're not going to change the project based on the talent that they have hmm. so we were like a i don't know 15 member team without a senior designer working on extremely important projects i think i made a lot of mistakes in the start but i also learned over the time and people were patient with me also working with all the people that i talked about right just you know ability to get on a one on one with them etc i think i learned on the job and eventually it worked out i wouldn't recommend like when you are actually joining your first job go to a place where there is already a design culture there are people that you want to work with never be driven by you know a brand or a company right. other actually, incentives rather exactly. than learning yeah you know when you're following the right people just go behind the people and they you know you are working closely with them you learn i didn't have any of that because you know i was by myself you know and it was a lot of hard work i'd say like the, the many sleepless nights because sometimes i'll present something to the larger design team because every time when you are shipping something you present it to the larger design team and i'd get a lot of critique but i think through that critique over the time i did improve where we got to a point we actually launched m.twitter.com okay. i was a sole designer on mobile twitter so every time you open m.twitter.com on your browser that's something that i designed of course there were many people behind it when you think about it because these are countless number of critiques lot yeah. of patience that they showed yeah it, it was very fascinating I, even when i think about it now you know having become a little bit more senior like the kind of work that i was able to produce at that time was interesting and it only happened because i did sort of create a support system myself so i i wouldn't say like if a person is joining in a place as a first designer coming out of college i don't think that would be recommended but right. i think for me unless you're ready for taking that on like <laughs> yeah yeah and but i feel like that's so much a part of my process now hmm. you know because i feel like i am now more comfortable with uncomfortable situations i don't know if the sentence makes sense but it makes like, sense i think i am able to draw a pattern out of uncertainty i always like discomfort it it's become second nature to me when there is no discomfort i always feel something is wrong <laughs> and and i don't mean discomfort in life i meant discomfort in what you are solving for and i th- think through my career or even from my food journey there is always discomfort when i start and ability to find your way out of it you know and creating something that works or at least i think that works right. is become a part of my process right hopping from uh, design to food did you continue cooking during that time or did you like uh... i love this podcast because i feel like <laughs> there's so much to talk about you know both the design and the food journey i think the food was happening you know throughout this phase right like even right. if we go back to the nid phase i did cook uh, you know for my friends in our college kitchen in our you know not hostel but we used to live in this apartment right opposite nid and we, i used to cook there as well but i think when i actually got a job and you know also a well paying job 
Yeah, that's what happens, right? I love food. I love cooking too. And uh, during my college times, I could think of so many things I would like to cook, but didn't have money for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like didn't have money for that. So when I started my first job, that's when I would start cooking for at least for myself every day and for some of my friends. Yeah. So when I actually got a job, like this is when I got my first rented house, which is still my house. And I think, of course, I was. you know very clear with what i wanted it took me 6 months to find the house i'm living in right now but you know i wanted an open kitchen where i could talk to the guests while cooking i wanted a terrace where i could host uh, people so i got this you know nice house on, which is on a terrace which is you know has the kind of things that i want but when i finally get that house i was of course most excited about the kitchen so i you know slowly built the kitchen i slowly bought the equipments that i wanted to but the fact that you now have you know a house that is your own and a little bit of money to buy you know ingredients that you want to and also time at hand to experiment i think that's when i truly kind of you know started my expedition onto you know the world right like of course i always like to cook but in this case you know i slowly built up into whatever i am as a cook now right and at what point did you uh, leave twitter or decided not to continue with the job and um... we'll talk about the place you spent most sure. of your design yeah. career at which is uber yeah so i spent about a year at twitter mm-hmm. and i'm very much a people's person so the person who hired me who was kapil khosla he decided to leave mm. and i was like cool i'm also leaving and of course you know uh, stupid choice but also a good choice I, i mean it became a good choice over the time but i was like oh this person is leaving i don't know how to see myself at this place without having that thought partner and as i said it was a small team so hmm. you know he was the person i used to brainstorm with yeah it also happens when somebody becomes like a mentor figure like exactly exactly yes of. i i didn't have a design mentor i only had a product manager mentor if right, you think right, about right. it i mean even better yeah, yeah 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 i mean of course you learn more uh, much more than design right and i think i also became like an independent sort of a creator in a way i never had a design mentor so whatever design i've learned is like learned through practice or through critique or like just spending count- countless number of hours you know on the craft so you know when he left i was planning to leave but i also got this message from someone at uber that they said you know they are starting a center in india and you know we would love to talk to you interesting and That's... also because kapil was a famous person he'll go to a conference and he'll, he he he's such like a he's he's a very giving person so he'll give the credits in the right way so whenever he's talking about work he'll always bring my name so um i think people noticed and then i think someone from uber reached out that you know we have heard from kapil that you are a great designer we'd love to talk to you and i was like okay cool and then of course he was leaving so i thought yeah i mean feels like a natural opportunity the year is 2016 17 no? 16 november 16. is what i remember yes yeah that's the prime of uh, uber yeah. that's that it was the most sexy company yeah. let's put it I, like i that. totally remember those times like i used to take uber when i was living in gurgaon and i mean it was amazing to be able to travel at night time for like work or anything like for yeah more than that i feel like it was one of the first digital products okay that had an intersection in the physical world as well right you, you know what you i mean to... like you could move real people with a phone and that power wasn't re- realized by that time i'm sure we can talk about let's say amazon where you know you order something a real thing comes to you but imagine like a real person in a car comes to you and takes you to a destination right through a mobile phone and i feel like 
that intersection kind of started a trend if you think about it right. there is food delivery that came after that you know there is now we have you know things like dunzo etc which are all kind of inspired by that idea right the b- biggest thing that i think uber end up doing was to create trust in that sense because if you think about it like the first thing that you were told as a kid was do not sit in a stranger's car and <laughs> so the, true the thing that people kind of started realizing and in, initially people were apprehensive there were lots of uh, distrust now it has reached to a point that people do not even think twice before entering somebody's car if they're booked by an app yeah no you're right you're right i mean especially i do remember uh, you know the early adoption especially in india took time for example when i had joined i think around that time is when we launched cash in india right right before that it was all credit cards which is only accessible to a certain kind of people right and then the minute they launched cash i mean when we launched cash i had joined by that time mm-hmm. it exploded and also because i think as indians we were kind of used to you know paying in cash right especially at the time of course now the world has changed even in india with the upi it has in of course drastically yes. changed yes i do remember uh, according to travis who was our ceo and the founder of uber at the time he had a very clear vision of uber magic and it was about tapping a button on the phone and then getting into the car and getting out of it without any hassle cash mm. for him was a huge barrier right so he was initially against it mm. but he's also like someone who would you know if the team is persistent enough and the team has some sort of a point where you know they have done some sort of a market research uh, on the ground he's also like open to give it a shot and he's like yeah guys i don't believe in it but go ahead try it out right show me the results i think well we launched cash in india and then it exploded and i was like okay okay i was wrong this is great you know let's build the whole ecosystem around it the first version of cash was really really buggy and you know of course once it became successful we had to do a lot of things on it but i do remember very clearly remember the time you know when i had joined right it was a thing in the making in india is how i see it after i had joined i was again uh, the first designer <laughs> I, i think that's a theme alive that's a theme in my career uh, but i think having done it once also now i mean a little better as a designer i was a little i was definitely more confident in taking that step however we did have a researcher who had already joined so meenal jain who was one of the researcher uh, a ux researcher who had joined uh, uber i joined like about 3 months after that so there was some sort of a design culture already the other thing about uber was people were like very welcoming from the get go so you know from the time i joined i was already very connected to a lot of designers in the us so i never felt alone uh, you know i think there was a huge huge differentiator between my twitter experience and my uber experience i talked about twitter right where right. i had to be very persistent in getting my feedback i had to put myself out there here people were supportive of me from the get go which was quite interesting and i never felt like the only designer in a center because i f- i felt i was connected to my manager i was connected to many other senior designers in the us and they were genuinely interested in my success right it makes a huge difference in a career if you think about so it so you have kind of spent almost 5 years in uber right i spent exactly 5 years and 1 month at uber okay, yes that's that's quite a time so let's talk about your first year at uber how was that like first year was crazy and you know we had a saying that when you are at uber you are living dog years you know um, every year is equivalent to like 10 years we spent in a company and i don't think it could be any more true because uh, things move, re- move used to move at least 
in the first few years very very fast right. at uber also like those were the uh, times when uh, it was gaining grounds in india so exactly. of course that that will be crazy i mean not just india so the good part about our team was that we weren't focused on india it's a good and a bad thing mm. we were always focused on international expansion okay so my first year at uber was only about designing payments now it was really really boring work i'll i'll quickly <laughs> tell you about it because i don't think it takes a lot of time to explain this right basically imagine uber is launching in thailand and then you have to make you know the paytm equivalent of thailand you know uh, live on uber then you launch in vietnam then you make a equivalent of some wallet Hmm. The interesting part about India, in particular, is it's really good framework for any third world country. I agree. I agree. Uh, my work was launching payment methods. That was whole year of launching payment methods across Southeast Asia and Europe. But here is the interesting part. Every time we launch a new payment method, we would travel to that country hmm. and learn about how it's working, and then launch it. So. work was boring but there was a lot of travel happening which for me was a lot of education overall i feel like by then i had only been to canada through my exchange and i and my brother had done one you know thailand trip together you know before he was leaving you know for his uh, bachelors so you know for me it was a lot of exposure and travel i think first year was a lot of education you know through travel i was in thailand where we launched a payment method but i was also with a group of friends like colleagues but also friends who were also into food So we'd go out to markets and eat and all of those things. I spent some time in Vietnam. I spent a lot of time in Europe. Vietnam uh, is an amazing place with respect to food. Yeah, so, I remember. For me, uh, Vietnam was always like I always knew pho. Yeah. You know when I think about Vietnamese food, and I do remember using Instagram at the time. And my last day at Vietnam, and I put a story that I haven't had pho. <laughs> in the whole trip because there was so much more yeah and i think these are the experiences that kind of define you when you had an original you know authentic you know dish right you kind of know you know what to orient yourself to right when you're thinking about a particular dish and i think that was an amazing education for me just from a food perspective i spent a lot of time in europe i mean we had an office in amsterdam mm-hmm. so i used to travel to amsterdam very often which means every time i go to amsterdam i'll also think about a country that i could you know travel to you know when i take my off uh, you know after the work trip one country i wouldn't do like patel travels where you are like <laughs> going to you know five or six countries all at once i always thought i'll go to one city spend some mm-hmm. time i think through which i went to i could go to italy i did go to france a couple of times and i i just spend like i'll choose one city and i'll spend like 3 to 4 days there and very slow travel like you know right not really like i mean i i not I, like a tourist yeah i i did go to paris and like i actually bumped into eiffel tower like i just to put it <laughs> out how, how i travel because i know i've seen in a photos yeah. and you know yeah you don't want i mean yeah i mean uh, when i went to new york i didn't go to statue of liberty i was like oh, of course oh i haven't i i've been to new york so many times i haven't seen statue <laughs> it didn't even bump into me you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it is far anyway so um the first year was a lot of travel hmm. very boring work I'll be very honest. I was very happy because, as a foodie, if that's like an acceptable word, um, I got to eat a lot of new cuisines that I wouldn't have otherwise. Hmm. Right. So I think the first year was all about you know traveling, doing some sort of work, but mostly traveling and also developing my kitchen. So because I'm going to a new country, you know, I'd buy like utensils which are of high grade quality that right. you wouldn't get in India. So right now my kitchen is all. thanks to uber if you think about it because 
I, you know, I have high grade quality, you know, pans and even from the plates, etc. that I used to shoot. None of them, I mean, of course, I bought a lot from India as well now. But what like, about a chef's knife? Um, I was never, I, I only became crazy about chef's knives after my stint in London. Okay. Before that, I did have one knife and I knew how to sharpen. So I was like, okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to stick with it. I think after my stint in London where I worked in restaurants, etc. Of course, after that, I was, you know, pretty drawn into the idea of like collecting, um, you know, chef's knives. Right. And um, at Uber, you were a part of design for Uber Lite, which is a lighter version of the Uber app. Can you tell us about that? I feel like that was my favorite project at Uber. Because mm. I think up till that point, I always thought Uber is a lot about like getting drunk people home <laughs> on a Saturday. <laughs> Because I think, again, it's yeah. it, it, it's all dependent on the exposure that you get. Yeah, I mean, that age, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, I think in the year two, it's when we transformed the India Center altogether. So we had, you know, this product person, uh, you know, head of product, Shiri Shandare, you know, he, you know, started this uh, new sort of charter. It was called Design for Emerging Markets, which is where, you know, kind of Uber Light was born out of that idea, right? Okay. So our whole goal was to like think about a version of Uber which is fit for emerging markets. Right. We didn't know if it will be a new app. We didn't know it will be a website. We didn't know if it will be a phone call. We didn't know anything. So it was a very nice blank canvas that we started with. Right. And I think the project is very definitive of what an ideal design process looks like in a product design world. What would that mean? So basically like only knowing the problem and not thinking of the solution at all, right? Got it. Because sometimes so many projects start with the solution. Hmm. In this case, we are only starting with the problem. Yeah, so there was no Uber Light app per se, but there were problem statements. Yes, I would be lying if I'd say that we didn't know that this could be a possible solution. Right. But we didn't want to like outright accept that. Hmm. We wanted to spend more time in the markets to actually find if something like this is needed or if the solution is completely different. Right. Like Ola started a phone call service where you could book yeah, Ola. Yeah, Ola kind of started with phone call and then they moved into an app. Right. For Uber, we were like just questioning if app is even required. Right. I, I think that's where we started. And then the way we approached the problem was to learn more about the problem. That can only be done by... Qualitative. Yes, qualitative research, you know, spending time in the market, understanding the market really well and then going about a solution. So imagine a team of like two to three product managers, you know, two to three designers, um, design researchers, and even engineers, you know, traveling to Brazil and Mexico and immersing ourselves there in an Uber context, right? Like from a mobility context, we were not even starting at Uber. We were actually starting at ground zero, which is like mobility or movement mm -hmm. for that matter. Right. And I think that really defined how I thought about the problem. And... You know, we spent about a week, week and a half in Brazil. It was such a beautiful process that we were spending a lot of time in people's home. Interesting. Who were directly or indirectly users of Uber. Ah. And I'll explain what indirectly means, which is where the interesting part is. For us, indirectly was people asking others to request Uber, which basically means that you have a requirement, hmm. but you don't know how to use this product. I remember uh, the indirect user context because uh, when my dad would travel in Delhi, so he would pretty much call me to book an Uber for him. I would do it over like the app and then he would take the Uber and then... Yeah, other people were assisting, right. you know, these users to book an Uber and we had quite a few of them. 
which I thought was very smart of our, uh, you know, research team because I felt like that was a great persona to focus on. And we met multiple personas, you know, in that sp same space. So imagine people who have daughters who are requesting for them. You know, imagine people who have, you know, other guardians who are kind of helping them, you know, book or request an Uber. So I think for me, uh, the most interesting story was of this user called Maria. Mm -hmm. She is this person who lives in Salvador in Brazil. And, you know, she's like a homemaker, but also she has this small business of like selling breads to certain restaurants. It's like a small scale business. Imagine like making 30 breads a day. Right. And every time she needs to go to the market, her best bet was using an Uber. And she would basically ask her daughter to request an Uber for her. And then sometimes whenever her daughter were busy, she would sometimes miss on delivering this bread. Oh, okay. And I felt like there was a very weird operation of a different kind. Hmm. And I kind of realized that mobility means so much to people, right? Like mobility or movement is so much synonymous with freedom. Exactly. Especially for women, if you think about it. And then on the same day, I also imagined like my mom, who is kind of reliant on my father to you know take her to the market. And I imagine if we had Uber in Moga, I would request that for her and be like, yeah, you know, you do your thing. Why do you have to wait for someone? if you can't drive for that matter. So I think that kind of changed my perception about Uber. I think that's where my real Uber journey started. Till that point, I was having fun. Like I said, you know, a right. lot of travel, not very interesting project, but I was having fun. From this point onwards, like meeting, really meeting Maria is when I think my Uber journey or my career really started. Because I suddenly had a purpose. And I think that story was so close to me. Like I brought that story back, um, you know, to people who couldn't go to the trip. And, you know, people talk about personas a lot. For me, it was just one persona. I was like, it needs to work for her. Hmm, it has to and, work for Maria. Yes, and everyone understood it. To an extent that even if you talk to any person in the Uber team and talk about Maria, they would know the user really well. And I think I gave enough presentations inside the company to talk about her. And for me, Maria was also not just that persona. I took other personas and blended it to Maria so that people have a singular vision. And people could kind of relate to one user when they are taking decisions. So the reality with design is that you are not taking all the decisions yourself. Let's say an engineer is also taking a decision where you are probably not required. Hmm. But you are also required. So hmm. can you make them responsible enough to take the right decisions for the user? And I feel like that's how I feel like design is, right? Like there are many people who are designing this thing. And it's not just you. You know, we reached on the conclusion of making this app, we kind of realized that we need an app. You know, of course, we knew from data that we needed something that's lighter, you know, could download quickly, can work on a bad phone, Maybe can work in a spotty network. And has less uh, options, clearer. Yeah, sh exactly. But I think the bigger problem was solving for inclusion. That became a principle for me as a designer as well. And one of the principles that I feel or I relate to the most right now is basically respecting your users. Right? It's about not making them feel dumb. Imagine like, you know, for example, your father. Hmm. When they used to come to Delhi 20 years back, they knew how to navigate in the city. Right. And then technology came. And now you don't have those taxis, etc. Or, you know, auto rickshaws plying. They're all on the apps. Yeah. Suddenly you are excluded them, if you think about it. And their only way of getting included is using a digital product. And then you make that digital product so complicated that they feel like they are dumb. Mm, right. One of the most important principles is to actually respect your user. Absolutely. So yes. I think that's what I came back with. And, you know, we had a three member design team. Uh, it was me, uh, Shri Jalasutram and Nida Zameel. 
and we kind of like came back with a mission that you know we need to solve for these users and especially for maria that i already talked about right we didn't know how to start we didn't know what to make and so much of design i can't talk about other disciplines of course i don't know enough right. but so much of product design at least for me was always about iteration you just like blindly try all kinds of options which are mutually exclusive from each other hmm. till you hit on something that makes sense hmm hmm and the only reason for at least us for something to make sense was a user being able to understand it right and in this case we had this interesting idea that our you know researcher naman brought which was called testing thursdays where what we would do is whatever we have done in that week like if we have created a version of the app we will test it with a real user of a similar persona right. i will find that in india right because right, i mean they are very synonymous markets that way the problems were similar so we tested our product every thursday and you wouldn't imagine we had high hopes and we go to this testing and we like okay i think we have cracked it and like the users won't understand at all but you if you go deeper we always had this one small thing that worked so for us it was like a nugget so every testing thursday will basically capture a nugget and those small nuggets is what became our final product i think one of another interesting aspect of uberlite was getting rid of maps now imagine uber is a product that started a generation of mobility or apps in general which has map in the background absolutely and yeah. when i'm saying that i'm sure you can relate five products which has map in the background front right and center right yeah here we are this set of designers who are questioning that <laughs> we are like map is not needed yeah if i think about that particular persona and people of that persona i think uh, map is just complicating the issue for them yeah and i remember you know we met this user and we were like we were testing our current app and we were like do you see a map in the background she's like yeah that's the map of my city and oh. she, she was not able to comprehend that it's her location this is where the car is coming a bigger design brief was what can we replace the maps with right interesting and then i remember making this one diagram where i had you know the whole app in front of me basically printed out and then i basically jotted down what is map trying to do in this place for example when you open the home screen it's only telling you where you are yeah. are there better ways of telling that 100% i remember um you know one of the solutions which also you know i got a patent for was uh, pois points of interest and the idea was to think about sorting your location your pickup location with the help of point of interest so imagine if we are standing in a particular place right it's super visual right you are able to see many dukans etc around you you can read one and you will be like oh this is where i am hmm so the way the uber light app loads is it starts with where should we pick you up and it has a lot of point of interest around you so you can basically visually map yourself to a point of interest when i took this idea to our head of product i mean he didn't say it but i could see on his face he was like this is bullshit of course they they you know they live in san francisco and you know people really understand technology better there but they couldn't relate with this user that's like uh, san francisco is like so different world altogether from all these realities right yeah i mean definitely from an emerging market reality right yeah and they were like you know this is such a stupid idea you shouldn't try doing it we also can't do it right technologically and then i had this very young engineer who really liked this idea <laughs> he was just like one year out of college and i was like i'm going to make a prototype of it wow i remember he made a prototype 
and this idea was killed by the way we were in san francisco and we went into this presentation and was killed it, it the whole idea was that probably it's not technologically possible okay everyone kind of agreed that this might be needed right but i don't think we are there yet to make it happen in the right way right so also like when you have a company of that scale it has to work it yes, has to everyone. really work yeah 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 and i remember the point that you brought at the start as well right if it works in india it probably works everywhere else <laughs> so exactly what we did so i talked about this young engineer he made this prototype i remember he pinged me a build of the app his prototype on a saturday evening and i was like okay i'm going to go to the most complicated locations in bangalore and try this prototype out and i went across bangalore in extremely remote or weird locations like chickpeat all go to a remote location where there are not enough pois and i took photos of his prototype which was really working really well with you know in the background there'll be that poi right for example in chickpeat i was in i was standing in raja market hmm. and i opened his prototype and said raja market and i took photos of that and like i was like oh guys i need a presentation or i need some time with you guys and we are going to show you something the whole presentation was just photos of that prototype with images in the background that was of the said poi wow and they were like this makes sense go ahead wow no one used pois to actually determine locations we see pois in google maps yeah but no one used it as a way to you know improve your pickup location right right, right and right, right. i think that kind of became a patent in itself and so we applied for a patent as a team and we also got that patent which was pretty cool super interesting i think uh, this is what happens when you trust the process and do it correctly that you end up yeah i think so much of creative process in general is about like navigating right hmm. you are kind of like starting at a point you don't know where you are heading but like you just keep going right and you are just trusting the signals and you know if you are lucky and if you are persistent enough i feel like you find gold at right. some point right. is how is what i've kind of trained myself to believe even if i'm not seeing the signals no i think i is same with me a, like it's pretty much like taking steps on the stairs right in a dark place you just take the next step Yeah, and the next step, and the next step, the next thing you know is you are on the top. Right? You're right. You're right. That right. makes a lot of sense. And also during your time at Uber, you designed Uber Bus. You were part of that team. Tell us about that. And I think that service happened for a while. And uh, yeah, yeah. So for me, it was a short project. Now it's a full-fledged ecosystem. The team is like I don't know, thirty, thirty-five people in India. It's still in operation, Uber yes, Bus. Yes, yes. It's so we launched in Egypt. Now I, I'm sure it's in many other places. Okay. When I got onto that project. we were a six member team and again we were in the same place to convince the whole sort of leadership that this is something that is needed so imagine from conceptualizing how a bus service works to launching a product it was less than a month and a half wow and i was the only designer so my my work was making a, an interface that people in egypt could understand without mm. actually going to egypt mm. and using the local script yes on top of that yes So uh I remember we didn't have enough budget to travel to Egypt and do this but one of our researcher friends Surbi she was like she studied like you know the culture of Egypt and how you know the whole topography is and then she mapped it to Calcutta and she said there are a lot of similarities we need to go there of course i mean they'll pay for Calcutta so we went to Calcutta and we did all of our testing in Calcutta wow and you know a lot of it worked out a lot of it also didn't i'll be right, honest right but for the major part it did work out we could launch the product we could you know 
make an interface that locals could understand. And then we launched product in a month and a half. So we went to Egypt to launch the product. We tested the product there and we made changes based on. And trust me, like I was like, man, Surbi, you are so smart because <laughs> we made very few changes. You know what? Like this, this particular twist, such an interesting insight, yeah. you know? I would never think of it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you are so smart. Because she basically made a presentation. I was of course sad because I'm like, we are launching this. Not that I I couldn't get to travel. I knew we will eventually go to Egypt. But it was more about making a product that works. And we also had such limited time. We also had to convince leadership. So she came up with a presentation and she was like, okay, these are the similarities. We need to do it in Calcutta. At the end of it, I was like, yeah, I'm convinced. Let's do it. And then when we went to Egypt, it worked really well. I mean, we only had to make very small changes, which was quite an interesting thing for me. That's so good. Another thing that I remember about uh, Uber Lite is that it had a, a much more lasting impact on the design community at Uber as well. I remember as a company, we were going through a redesign, which was done by Wolf Hollins. Right, right, right. I, I met uh, Forrest Young uh, at Brand New Conference. He was also a speaker. Wow, amazing. Yeah. I have never met him. Yeah. I, I do remember that they were really fascinated by what we were doing with Uber Lite. Uh -huh. So, um, you know, one of the design directors just like put us in touch with, you know, Wolf Wallins and they were like, just show the work. Right. You don't have to guide them. You know, this conversation is more about just showing your work to Wolf Wallins. Right. So we showed our work. Right. We're like, this is what we're doing. And I think uh, uh, Forrest Chung, just for, to give the context to people, he was the creative director. Um, I could be wrong with the uh, with the position, but I think he was creative director at that time at yes. Collins. Yes, uh, I also remember that. And how I met him is um, at speaker dinner and during the brand new conference where I got to speak. And yeah. he was also a speaker, which was kind of crazy, but yeah, I mean. You're popular, man. Damn, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, so I remember that presentation very clearly. We just... He did talk about how India was such an important uh, market for Uber One. Yeah. So he did talk about that a lot of the rebrand was uh, inspired. Done, inspired by India. Yes, yes. Because I think when he's saying that it, the lens was through Uber Light, which is what I'm very proud of. Mm, tell us about that. So we presented our work. And then after that, you know, we didn't know what was happening. Of course, it was a pretty top secret sort of a project. It was happening for, I think a, it was a three month long project where we didn't know anything that was happening on the other end. So we had Peter Makatos, who was one of our design directors in the brand team at Uber. And then it was Wolf Hollins and they were spending time together. No one knew what's coming out. Right. And then they were like, guys, we would love to put you into this review meeting where, you know, we are showing the first version of our brand. We were like, why are they inviting us? Cause you know, it was a very guarded sort of a meeting. And like three of us were invited to that meeting. And then we saw like, there was a chapter called Safety Blue. And the first image was, Uber light where we had used a similar tone of blue and they were like we were so inspired by the whole look and feel and also the color that they thought this is very synonymous with safety and this is going to be the safety blue color for Uber hmm. and then all of their examples were around Uber light yeah. and I think that plus the fact that Uber could exist without maps hmm. that created an ecosystem for designers at Uber to you know, explore these non-map interfaces as well. So hmm. everything you see in the main app, wherever there is no map, like a lot of those design elements are kind of repurposed from Uber Light. And I still sometimes run into something which is 
very heavily inspired from Uberlight, which is quite amazing. That's great. That's great. In fact, uh, I think uh, I remember few things that you talked about uh, during our discussion, which uh, I could see in that presentation too, about it being a like. I mean, he, he phrased it differently that it being a operating system for movement. Yes. And how to? Of course, they're very smart, and the rebrand is brilliant. I mean. Wolf Allen's, like, of course. Yeah, no, I love the rebrand. I'm, I'm, it got a lot I think of... that was one of the best rebrands uh, of that time, considering how light they made it, yes. how simple they made it, and how it was inspired by mobility. Yeah, it was like no <laughs> mobility. Like, huh? let's not try to be fancy. Let's not try to, you know, emote in a certain way. It was right. more about, you know, it gets you from point A to point B in the easiest way possible is one of the things that they, you know... And they got a custom typeface designed by... Yes, Uber Move. Was it what it was called? Yeah. Or, or still called. Right, 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 right. That's the typeface we use, you know, across print as well as, you know, interfaces at Uber. Right. And uh, what else did you get to work on uh, while being at Uber? I think there are two more projects I'd love to talk about. Sure. The first one was Phone Call to Ride. And the brief was very interesting. So, again, we didn't know what we are going to make here. But it was a very small team, like just four or five people, trying to solve for seniors in the US, which is like older, you know, uh, people in the US. The thing about seniors in the US is that so many people don't have basic support. Right. Uh, you know, their kids are not living with them. Um, you know, some, are, some of them have separated from the spouses, are living alone. Right. And have a very monotonous life. And, you know, sometimes you actually have to go to church every Saturday and you don't want to drive anymore. Or sometimes you get to an age where you know, you are not legally allowed to drive. Right. And so many of these seniors, like in our research, we found that those people are at that juncture. And it was not a very big business opportunity. So I'm very, very grateful that in general, we got to work on things like that, where you know that it's not going to move business at all. You're purely solving for people. And I think we came up with that idea, like we tested an idea of a phone call. And this project was, I was completely off Figma. It was, yeah. you know, as, as a designer, especially, you know, through, you know, whatever career I've had, it's all about, you know, thinking about something, but also creating a final thing on, you know, that looks a certain way. And then, you know, there's motion involved and so many things. In this case, I'm just completely off my laptop for that matter. Right. There's no visual output. Yes. And it's more about flows form. and it's more about how, you know, we are coming across, how we are solving for them, how the phone call is. Because the reality is the phone call is not driven by a person. It's driven by the same technology that Uber is built on. So imagine it's a phone call powered by a more latest sort of a technology. Mm, okay, right? so there's no person at the other end. It's the app that kind of detects what the person is trying to say. Yes. And then yes, books you an Uber. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, I think uh, speech processing has kind of gotten to a point where you Yeah, can, yeah, of yeah. course. Especially... Um, in English, yes, and that's that not accent. a problem. That accent, it's not a problem. Yes. I think American accent, it's kind which is of... where we started in the US. Of course, yeah. the product sort of rolled out slowly into other places right. in the world as well. We started in the US because it was an easier problem to solve, right. and it's a huge enough problem. Hmm, I yeah. think the best thing about that project was after it was launched, week one, we started receiving emails from people saying that how this has helped them come out of a very difficult situation. Hmm. I remember this one email which almost made me cry, I'll be very honest. There was a person who wrote a very long email, but I'm going to give you a gist. They were talking about how, um, and it's very sad, but I'm still going to try to attempt to, you know, think about what was exactly written. But he was talking about how he had a serious heart condition and there was an emergency. 
and he was trying to reach out to you know his son he was trying to reach out to some hospital or like he was not able to come out of that situation he was um, you know he was he said i was almost at the edge of my life is what he said exactly wow. and he said uh, but like someone had saved um, you know uber's phone number and this is the first time he was trying that product and then when he called he was able to book an uber and he was able to go to the hospital this is just one story there were many like that wow and even in my last month at uber i continued to receive uh, emails like that and i feel like wow you know again like i said no business uptick you know for a company like uber like it was like 400 dollars a day you know where we are doing yeah. like millions right which is not, i mean th- this is not going to make the money yeah but, uh, but the fact that five people or four people were task to solve this problem was very beautiful of the i mean these are place. the things that we are you kind of uh, see like uh, people do talk about the other end of uh, big companies but here when done right like uh, this solves a lot of real time issues yeah there's always i mean there's a lot of you know press about uber being like a certain way but at least my experience like which has been pretty long like i never personally experienced that the fact that projects like these happened was quite a testament to right you know how the company culture was in fact uh, even uh, forest young he was talking about a lot of these uh, stories that he kind yeah. of heard and he's like uh, that pretty much uh, changed their whole the best employees of uber are driven by mission is what i saw f- for a very long time i'm sure over the time you know you know it dilutes right you know new people come in some people who were connected to the mission leave for example i also left but like at least in the best phase of uber right many employees were driven by the mission and everything else came secondary which was quite amazing like being in that environment was right quite amazing and what else you got to work on it um i think my last and sort of the final project that i was doing at uber my last year at uber it was right after the pandemic okay or right when the pan- not after i mean <laughs> there's no after the pa- we are still <laughs> not after the pandemic but right when the pandemic had started hmm. uh you know we were we started this team called the growth team okay. and the growth team was all about squeezing as much business as we can you know from our product which basically meant you know fixing things you know basically fixing broken things yeah like i mean if you think about it uh, in capitalism uh you can't go urge people to give you money yeah you have to find Ways. and solve actual problems yeah. and uh, when i say these thing these statements people might uh, people might not believe that this is true but that that's a reality of no problems. when you're working for you're not working for an ngo right? it's a pure like you solving people's problem and people paying you for it exactly i mean that's a ground principle when you're doing a job yeah. you know and especially that's the ground property. principle of uh, actual capitalism exactly right and i want you, to use that word no 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 it's it's important to understand because so so many times we feel like oh you know like and in, in india we are grown up uh, hearing uh, uh, things about socialism yeah uh, and uh, by socialism i don't mean uh, uh, nordic kind of socialism our economy way back was based on uh, ussr's uh, socialism yeah. and we kind of have uh, grown with those stories we don't realize the other end like we are the countries that actually chose the other economic model progressed way ahead no 100% so we found that we were basically as a team we were at this juncture where we were kind of tasked to improve the business and it was very much needed at the time especially when you imagine with the pandemic like there was no movement happening and any or 
you know, mm. any little movement that was happening, you don't want to lose business on that. Right. And it also kind of sets a right tone whenever the business recovers. Right. Imagine when the business recovers, it'll recover like maybe 10% at a time. Mm. Right. But can you make it 12? You know, was mm. like a larger sort of a thing. Because whenever it started, everyone talked about how will it end? And when it ends, how it is going to be? Because you have to recover all Exactly. The... Everyone knew that it's going to be very slow. Hmm. So we were like, how much more can you squeeze in right. in that slow world? Right. And I think that's what exactly what our team was doing. As a designer, I never cared about business. I'll be honest. But I think at that time, I was forced to think about business. And it was not the most exciting work of my career. But I could put a number to every work that I produced. Let's talk about it. So just in 2020, at the end of it, we did some tally on numbers and we as a team had a $1 billion impact. Damn. Which is... How? It was, it was all about squeezing. So I remember we had a forgot password flow, which was very broken. It was a five step. I'm sure if you use forgot password a year back, you will be like, I mean, such a well-designed app, but such a bad, you know, broken forgot password flow. Uh, that's the problem with a lot of apps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And no one cares about it. And right. then we suddenly realized, oh, so many people are dropping there. Mm-hmm. And I made this forgot password flow, which was a two-step thing from a seven-step long situation. And then that was $170 million. And because you're working on a scale. By retention, right? Exactly. You're working, you know, when you're working on a product which, you know, is popular across the world, has a certain scale, all the small changes will Accumulate. bring overwhelming impact. And I think everything I was doing, I was forced to think about money. So I had five problems. I'll choose one which will bring the most money. It's so counterintuitive as how I used to think. But I'm but glad and grateful I had that opportunity. I probably wouldn't talk about or put that in my portfolio. But did I have a lot of life learnings or just financial learnings but about I the think, product? Yes. So I think uh, there, that's interesting topic you touched on. And there's another topic that this reminds me of. Um, designers don't talk much about money. And uh, with that, I also mean about how much they get paid. Yeah. It's always a surprise to me when um, people who work in studios and agencies, and I think I did talk uh, about it uh, with Lisa on this podcast. Lisa is a partner at Itu Chaudhary Design. Mm-hmm. We did talk about how agencies and uh, studios are not able to pay as much as product companies do. And um, whenever I kind of end up talking to a lot of my friends who work in tech companies, the number versus what mm-hmm. when I talk mm-hmm. to people who work in studios or agencies or so on, there's a big, big, big difference. Like sometimes mm-hmm. even ten per ten times difference in how much they. Can I pay. I wouldn't be surprised. It, and that's such a strange uh, thing. What are your views on it? That's a very good question. Um, I think I also think about it a lot, and especially because I have friends in you know various disciplines of design. Especially when you think about graphic design or print design or animation or filmmaking or set design. Some of the closest people I have are in, like I said, um, many types of disciplines and I'm definitely paid considerably more than them. And I think I always at least think that they are producing much more creative work. They are way more hardworking. But I think the reality of the world is that when I also compare myself or what I'm paid with, let's say, engineers or product managers, it's very similar. So it's it's a very contrasting thought for me. But the reality with product companies is that you are really close to the impact. Hmm. And I just talked about 
numbers yeah i just talked about the kind of impact we had as a team with growth team i don't think any salary can make up for the impact that a team of 11 people had i think with product companies because of the scale that you are designing on reaches you are you know basically kind of compensated around that because everything you are doing has an impact but i think on uh, the business i think that's irrelevant of uh, discipline to agreed agreed uh, graphic designers or for the sake brand designers who work yes. as in house designers which is where it's slowly getting better if you think about it right 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 but i meant in the sense still um, that kind of money can't be made in studios from what i've heard and it may have to do with how studios are charging you know their clients hmm right because i think it, 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 it's so much about the intake like i know some studio owners who are like you know we are barely making any money because the salaries are very high now hmm and i'm like yeah then you need to charge more let me talk about salaries because your contract value hmm. is lower than a yearly salary of just one single designer where you're putting a team of 7 Yeah, but I think coming back to just product. But I think what you just said, right? I hope uh, the listeners who are like um, who have studios or they are independent practice, they should think more about this particular phrase itself. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, I have closely seen studios. I've closely seen some quotes, and they're mind-boggling to me. Sometimes they are actually working with a product company, and the quotes are super low. I've also helped people edit their quotes. I'm not gonna give examples. but i did have people who you know let's say worked for you know a company like uber not uber but a company like uber as you know a consultant or like as a studio supporting a product company right for them the quote was very high but then i was like you know this is a very comfortable one and you know the mechanics of the financials are kind of getting better hmm if you have any tips regarding uh, uh, to those uh, those people people mm-hmm. on that end to be better able to navigate this uh, particular world like and quote i am liking this world where people are being open about yeah yeah it's slowly getting there i think it's it's very interesting like these days it's not a uh, uh, very hidden uh, the charges are not that yeah either. just do your research is what i'd say right yeah talk to more people be open and i think uh, there's absolutely no uh, moral high ground in charging less i agree i mean ability to measure your impact is a very good skill to make and it comes with time you know you have to train yourself you have to train how you are looking at a project but i think traditional agencies should be able to train uh, themselves by now yes by now <laughs> i mean if you look at some rebranding projects for example i don't know how much wolf allens would have charged uber but i'm sure it's going to be a bomb so are we talking about this problem to be more prevalent in india i don't know I don't know enough. Same. <laughs> so, But I think you still have my viewpoint on how, at least, why product companies, you know, are paid better because in product companies, at least, companies are able to measure the impact of employees better, and thank God they are able to compensate people like that. I know I'm overpaid. Let's start there, right? Like, I I I tell my friends because I know they are putting so much hard work and probably not paid enough, and you know, from that lens, I always see myself as this overpaid individual. But then I also look at you know the engineer who's sitting next to me who's making as much or more money and then i feel better i love this part <laughs> <laughs> okay so during your time at uber i also learned that you took a three month sabbatical mm-hmm. to learn culinary arts at uh, how do you pronounce this 
Like cordon bleu. Okay. You say it. I can't pronounce it. Sure. Yeah, go for it. Like, and it's one of the top uh, culinary school in the world. Yes, the Paris one is, of course, you know, the number one is how people see it. Okay. And, and I you... went to the London one because you have to learn French if you... <laughs> and it was, for me, it was just a three-month course. Yeah. But for... I think the story kind of goes way back. Okay. I would like to talk about a little bit Let's of history. Let's talk about that. Right? Um, we left the food part at a point where I had a kitchen. Right. Right. And then... For the right reasons. I think we discussed really interesting things about Uber. Let's, let's <laughs> come sure. back to your food journey. For sure. For sure. Rewind. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, I had a kitchen. I started experimenting. I also got to travel, which basically means I had exposure to many kinds of food. So, I do remember one trip to Italy, which kind of changed how I approached my cooking. So I was in Rome where, you know, there is a Roman style of pizzas, which is like a square pizza or a very, very thin crust sort of a pizza. Right. It was really delicious. I never used to like pizzas, but then I was like, let, let me give this a try because of mm. course, how good that can be. Right. And then uh, I got this pizza, which was delicious. One of the key reasons why this was so delicious was also the freshness of ingredients. And the honesty of ingredients, which is what Italian food is all about. Right, 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 right. right. They just use few ingredients, but they uplift it to a level where you were like... Ah. Yeah, yeah. it's it's all like honest, fresh ingredients Yeah. that are, you know, you know, grown locally, you know, taste the best. And like a lot of sourcing is required, which is, you know, sourcing the right thing, using it in the right way, etc, etc. You're not amping it up too much. You're actually just leaving the ingredients to perform their magic, right? And then this pizza was like a revelation for me. And I was like, wow, this is very delicious. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to also try to kind of recreate, uh, you know, these sort of pizzas. Next day, I went to a Neapolitan restaurant in Rome itself, where I had a Neapolitan pizza, right? Which is like 60% hydration. You know, it's very protected. Right, 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 right. right. I mean, it has a certain kind of tomatoes. It has there's this uh, term for it, right? Uh, foods like that, like uh, there's this regional marker for it. Yeah, yeah, there is. And they're, they're, they are protected. Hmm. And you can't call them that. Which is why the term Neapolitan style is a very popular term. Because you can't call it Neapolitan. Hmm. Because of how it is protected. So there's a certain kind of tomato that needs to go. There, the cheese needs to be sourced from a certain village. Uh, the dough needs to have a certain kind of hydration. The pizza oven needs to be at a certain temperature. Yeah, there's 60% hydration. You yes, say. yes. The so, the original one has 60%. Right. So that means it's a very slurry uh, kind of. Uh, Actually, dough. 60 is good. It's very handleable. 80 is where it gets hard. Yeah. And now so many places also make like 80% dough. Yeah. 80% sort of is like so bubbly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So I had a Neapolitan pizza, and that's where I was truly blown away. And then I was like, man, this you know, it really changed my perspective. Now people will be like, yeah, you never had a Neapolitan pizza before, but you need to realize it was five years back, right? Mm. So now we have places which are serving similar sort of things. But at that time, at least I didn't know of a place in India that right. made anything similar. So are there actual places in India that can serve I mean, there up are to that? There is one place in Goa. Okay. Forgot the name. Well, you can text me the name. Yes. I Let's will. keep it a secret. I don't want too many people. Have yes, to I will. I will. 100%. Uh -huh. <laughs> but, uh, and that's run by an Italian person. Oh, okay. Okay. So the kitchen is run by an Italian person. But what about person. tomatoes? You can't get those tomatoes that Italian. I'll talk about it. There, there are way, there, there's a way around it. Right? Okay. So anyways, I had that and I was like, man, this is crazy. Came back and I think I started an obsession of like recreating that pizza. My first pizza looked very, very ugly, tasted okay. It got to a point where I could share it with others. So I started inviting people and like at that time, so many people never 
had that sort of a pizza before, which is, you know, very honest, like fresh tomatoes, good cheese, you know, good dough. And slowly and slowly, it kept getting better because every time I made it for people, they were like, wow, this is beautiful. But for me, I knew it's nowhere, <laughs> nowhere close to, uh, you know, what I had uh, in Italy, right? And then my obsession got to a point where, of course, I used to make my own dough, but I started buying local maida. Pele, I was buying like zero zero tip zero zero flour, which is what you used to make right. these pizzas. But I started buying local maida and you know started using it in a way where maida is uh, flour. Right? Yeah, all-purpose flour. All-purpose flour, yeah. but it's a slightly different uh, protein level. Yes, protein level. Exactly, India. it's ten yeah. percent and zero zero has about thirteen percent. Right. Yeah. So I started using local maida, local tomatoes, and I started making my own cheese. That's the level of obsession I went to because I was like, this cheese is not tasting the way. I mean, I did buy buffalo mozzarella from, you know, places like Food Hall, but it also used to get very expensive. Right, right, right. Because right. if you're doing it so many times, right. like, so every weekend, um, you know, I'm serving this pizza to so many people. Oh, weekend ke end pe, I'll be like, oh, wow, I spent 5k. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. I can imagine this like, small thing. like 10 pizzas, that means multiplied by 500 by 10, yeah, yeah, that so, much of mozzarella. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. but also the taste wasn't, Similar. I get it. Like, I mean, and then did you like purchase rennet and everything to prepare yeah, yeah, your yes. cheese? Those things are available, but we didn't have buffalo milk in Bangalore. At least it's not very easy to. Yeah, it's find. like you don't get it in market. You have yeah, to yeah. find Punjab me. I mean, as a kid, our first house was next to this place where you. you Punjab know, is to survive on buffalo milk. Exactly. Exactly. You know, which is why so many Punjabis are in Italy making cheese, which is another topic altogether. Yeah, that, that I think people, <laughs> it's my should, favorite topic, actually. people should read about it. And yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, yeah. There are Punjabis in Italy making, making parmesan cheese. and buffalo mozzarella, which is super cool. Anyways, yeah. uh, coming back, I mean, we are get, uh, we got like, we kind of digressed into the yeah. whole. So thing. this particular section when we are talking about food is going to have so many digressions <laughs> and so yeah, many Yeah, because I think both of us love food so much, which yeah. I found out, you know, since, you know, our morning thing. But uh, anyways, so I started making my own cheese. Like I found this place where they were producing buffalo milk, which was like, I don't know, 40 kilometers away from Bangalore. I found someone who would get it for me. Sometimes I'd drive there or take an Uber and get it. Like that sort of obsession, but I wanted to get it to the same. I got to a point where it was tasting right, but the heat element was missing and I could taste that. And then I was like, I need an oven, which could get to that temperature. So right. a traditional oven for listeners gets to about 250 degrees Celsius. 350 also you get, but for pizza, you need uh, around... Yeah, but a home oven plus. gets up to 230 to 250. Yeah, I mean, it says 350, but again, it doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. really reach there. No, but no, the home ovens actually get to only 250. Oh, is it? Yes. I don't know, I have seen 350 degree. Maybe oh, it's you're Fahrenheit. You're talking about Fahrenheit? Okay. No, I'm talking about Celsius. Okay, why am I... Yeah, yeah. yeah, cool. So bald eagles. Yeah, <laughs> you know what bald eagle joke? Yeah, I know. I know. Are you gonna crack a joke now? Yeah, no, no. I'm not going to, to crack on. a joke. Let's go. Okay, cool, it. cool. So uh, the home oven gets up to two thirty. Some get up to two fifty. I had a one which gets up to two fifty. Hmm. Of course, there's only so much you can achieve with that. A pizza takes eleven to twelve minutes in a two fifty degree oven, whereas a pizza takes about fifty to seventy seconds in a wood fired oven. So I was like. Damn. And you know, the kind of things that happen in that kind of a heat, right. like you can't, you can't just produce that with slower cooking. Yeah, absolutely. It's chemistry. For example, the wok, right? Like the kind of things that happen with an industrial stove and that wok and, you know, Indo-Chinese or Chinese food cannot be reproduced at home. How yeah. much ever you try. Yeah. Because the why, most important yeah, ingredient is actually That's why the chomin at home doesn't taste yeah, like... Yeah, it can never. What? Right. So... 
I was like, I am going to fix the heat soon. And at that time, you know, there was this company called Uni Ovens, now again very popular. They made this aluminium assembly, which could sort of simulate similar amount of heat. Okay. And the uh, temperatures are like? Above 500 degrees right. Celsius, right. which is very ideal hmm. for pizza. It's as high as it gets in Italy, hmm. right? So I bought that oven. You could buy that in the US. So hmm. I bought that oven. You could have played my mixtape. By, because my mixtape is fire. Anyway, sorry, let's go. <laughs> wow, wow, great. Uh, People are going to cringe. Okay, go for yes, it. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I'm not responsible for that. Anyways, coming back. So, uh, I bought that oven and then it was very heavy, obviously. And if I bring that in a flight all by myself, which is 60 kgs, I'll have to pay a lot of money. The oven is already 50k INR. Right. Right. So, I was like, I can't spend more money. So, we basically brought the oven in parts. So, Every time someone is coming from the US, I'll get 10 kgs worth of, uh, you know, parts of my oven. So I bought, brought 10 kgs, my friend bought, brought 10 kgs. And then another trip two months down the line, two people came and finally my oven was complete. Damn. And then, you know, we wanted to put it on a place. So my friend Lalit Chaudhary, who's like, you know, hobby woodworker, I told him, you know, uh, every time I have that sort of a need, he basically have helped me. He also made my bed, you know, just as a hobby project. So he was like, um, you know, we need to you know, make sure it, the heat resistance is good. There was a lot of things. He's very smart. I'm not. So he basically thought of like all these principles. He's like, oh, we need to put like a granite and all of that. Right. So that table also took its own time. Because <laughs> every he also has a full-time job. So right. every weekend he'd work. Oh, up time. It take, took like, you know, a month, month and a half with the table. Then we had to polish the table. Finally, six months after buying this oven is when it's set up. Hmm. On my terrace. Hmm. And the first pizza was unreal. You could also, like, I don't post about pizzas, but you could scroll down on my Instagram. Page. And there's one photo of this pizza, which looks very much like Italy, which is where I was like, okay, cool. Now I know I'm going to move <laughs> on to other things. Because <laughs> I saw the heat. Of course, I still yeah. make it. But like I saw the heat. I made that pizza. I was very content. So how would you rate your pizza with respect to the original one you had in Italy? Let's oh, say man. that's 10. That's 10. So... It's hard to flex here. <laughs> um, maybe, <laughs> okay. maybe, I don't know, eight and a half, nine. Eight and a half, that's a good number. I think. Yeah. I mean, I I, think uh, the, is the heat the secret or like? No, no, it's it's all the things that kind of built up to that point. Right. right. So uh, making, making the sauce with local tomatoes, hmm. you know, my obsession with picking the right tomatoes. You might have to even dry. Like, a lot some, of things. Lots of things. Lots of things. Like I had various formulas with my tomatoes, hmm. uh, Which is then making your own cheese. The yeah. final pizza that I posted has my own dough, my own sauce, my own, my own cheese. The basil wasn't grown <laughs> on my terrace, but and then a wood-fired, you know, situation. Right. And yeah, that day I was like, okay, it has gotten to a point which is as close as I can get. Of course, you know that uh, zero to ninety is one and then 90 to 95 and then 95 to 100 right ah, like, and that 90 to 100 is the hardest, hardest. Part. so i think i got to 95 and i was like good for that you need to be born again as italian <laughs> i know right <laughs> or, or like source yeah. things from a certain place etc etc right. so i got to like that point and i was like okay good then i had a sourdough obsession phase hmm. where i was like i'm gonna learn to make sourdoughs where was it near pandemic? No, it was much before that. Okay, actually, so, my mean... <laughs> my my journey of like obsession was very long. Right, so, right. Um, I was making fresh pasta, and we put up a stall in 
the Leela Palace. Why? Why a stall suddenly? Like you yeah, yeah, I used to make fresh pasta. In between, I had phase where I was like, I want to learn to make fresh pasta. You never get it anywhere. I'm very mm. much like drawn to Italy, mm. as you may have you know figured out by now. Yeah. So you know, I was making fresh pasta. Then I was like, oh, I should sell this just as a thing, mm. like fun. This is way back now, by the way. So I put up a stall where we were selling pasta. Next to me was another person called Ponana. He used to make or still makes one of the best sourdough breads I've had mm. in India. And I've had sourdough in San Francisco, which is like, like it's not like a home ground, but like they kind of popularized it around right, the world, right? right? So uh, his bread was like 95, if, if, if I will, or maybe 97, mm. all okay. the way up there, right? So okay. I had that and I was like, man, you are such a genius. This is unreal. And then I think he also connected to me, uh, you know, he because my I also, you know, had a certain obsession around pizzas, etc. Hmm. I, I was like, I would love to learn bread from you. So one day he invited me home. I've made bread many times before this. Did he share his culture with you? He didn't. I could have asked, but I never did. Hmm. So, That's like uh, one of the secret things. It is, it is. Um, it's a very personal thing to ask. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew he would have shared with me. But I think what he gave me is much more than the culture. So I learned to make ciabatta bread, which is an Italian bread with him. Lots of olive oil. Yes, yes. And uh, dough. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I made ciabatta with him. And the way he explained me principles of making bread are invaluable, right, for me. Because that one day, I also, I also used to draw. So I was drawing while he was, you know, uh, walking me through this recipe while we were doing things. And I remember like, perfecting that recipe first before even going to sourdough because sourdough is very hard you know sometimes i know people you know suddenly in the pandemic <laughs> they everyone needs to realize that if someone made a good loaf there were 30 bad loaves that they didn't show yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah, yeah so um, you know i learned to make uh, ciabatta and i perfected it to as good as you know perhaps him maybe mm-hmm. i sent it to him he was like wow this is perfect I'm sure he was being generous and nice, but yeah. even for me, it was tasting well or tasting good. Then is when I started my sourdough obsession. It was a good six to seven month long period when I got to a point where I was like, this is again, not as good as Ponana, but like to, to a good extent, I'm happy with it. Right. right? It's, I, by the way, ciabatta is one of my favorite breads. Same here. Same here. Like it's to the to date. Yes. Same you here. You have it. You have tomatoes. You have some of uh, uh, basil yeah. and a little bit of mozzarella. Yes. And just... It's 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 uh, unreal. I think the best part is how bitey it is. Like, yes, and, uh, it's it's a perfect vehicle for sandwiches. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and also just with olive oil. Yeah, you know. and your sorder. Yeah. That's part. But I, you know what? I've uh, not been able to enjoy sorder uh, till now. Uh, maybe I'm eating it incorrectly. Like I know, like you have to kind of make a toast out of it, or can you have good, it just good sourdough? Can be ha- had just with butter. That's how okay. I without judge a any toasting. Without even toasting, I'll just like. Cut a slice. Okay. Have like, no, you know, I room understand. temperature butter, okay. and that's how I would judge at sourdough. Of course, application point of view, you could do a lot of things, hmm. right? And also with you know a sourdough culture, it just becomes a healthier, you know, it has a funk, but it's also healthy, right? Because good right, for your right, gut right. health. It's it's actual living bread. Yes, but yes, totally. And so that was a phase. Then I had another trip to Italy with my friends, and I do remember where we were basically, you know, Italy trip is very long. I can go on and on about it, but I'm going to talk about one instance that pushed me into taking up culinary school, right? So we were in Italy and we were driving um, in this small village, which was between Modena 
it's basically in the emilia romagna region okay modernized uh, yeah exactly so it was between modern and bologna but did you get to go to uh, batura's restaurant i couldn't because we didn't book okay it wasn't it was a very impromptu sort of a trip so for that you need to be well in advance etc so i didn't feel bad about it because i was like thank god the trip is happening yeah. it was also a time where i had a lot of work right right Got so it. the fact that it happened was good enough for me so i wasn't feeling bad modena in general is such a beautiful place uh, the balsamic vinegar is very famous i right? bought a balsamic vinegar which was 25 years old i still have it i just put a drop of it on a vanilla ice cream god or i make this another ice cream called milk flour gelato it's just a fancy name is basically pure milk and sugar very less sugar it, it, the ice cream tastes of milk let's put it like that and wow. then just drop of balsamic vinegar that's my favorite one of my favorite desserts of all time for sure anyways right so yeah of course you already gave us flavor on digression so yeah. i'll try to bring us back so uh, it was between modena and uh, bologna hmm. in the emilia romagna region so we were driving we reached at about 2 pm to this village and we hadn't eaten since morning so imagine bunch of hungry people and we are going from one restaurant to another and it was a sunday and on sunday like it's an italian supper so people go at 11 and they stay all day in a restaurant till 6 pm and then they close so all restaurants were fully booked and then we suddenly ra- ran into one restaurant who invited us it was a very popular restaurant it was like a i think it was a one michelin star okay that just like completes the yeah yeah, yeah yeah so they invited us in it was like a two people table but we were three at the time and then they were like yeah can you share this space etc i'm like yeah fine i mean we are so hungry that we just want food thank you <laughs> yeah really because it was uh, uh, just to just to put put it out right it's it was two hours of looking for food so mm. we finally got a seat at 4 pm mm. now this restaurant was a sardinian restaurant so it was you know from the sardinia region of italy and it was very different from all the other italian food we had had right right so and also there were only italians in the restaurant so even you know from of course the owners to chef but also every guest was italian you know so, that food is going to be authentic man yes but also <laughs> no one knew how to speak english okay so it was hard to order i mean i could read menus of italian food but like i couldn't read like a sardinian menu for example because i haven't heard of those dishes before mm. right there's use of saffron etc yeah yeah i mean uh, people sometimes do not uh, realize that italy has so it's many like india right yeah, it's like india like of course india is india yeah, yeah no, no, no what i mean is like there yeah, are yeah. there are various regions and like every it, region is synonymous with yeah, certain food yeah but italy and mexico these are two places where there are so much of variation that people yeah, club into a lot one. of depth yeah 100% yeah. so i think someone spoke a little bit of english and they helped us order so i think people got an idea that we are foreigners because we look like foreigners of course but also that you know these people need help and then uh, you know someone came in helped us order then the chef who we thought was the wait staff um you know conversed with us in, with google translate mm. so imagine we are talking to him but through google translate it sounds like in google ad but anyways imagine we are talking to him but through google translate and he was really happy because he d- didn't see lot many foreigners in his restaurant he had a lot of local crowd and local people coming to his restaurant so he was very happy and excited about that and he was also very proud of sardinian culture so he was very excited that a foreigner is basically trying sardinian food yeah which means not trying the popular uh, yes, italian cuisine exactly right. exactly so anyways we ordered the food people were very happy one of my friend rahul he was like let's go to that table so you know we went to that table and there were a lot of like basically old couples so imagine like 
about six to seven old couples who were sitting on their table. And I think we started like some sort of a Google Translate conversation with them as well. <sighs> the whole restaurant kind of became like a very happy place because, you know, suddenly people are approaching mm. from one table to another. And that became like a thing that day. And that chef, which we again, like I said, thought was a weight stuff, was very happy. Uh, you know, the chef came and he was so happy looking at the whole state of events in the restaurant in the evening. The liveliness. The liveliness, yes. And then he brought Mirto. You could imagine what it could be. And then all of us had Mirto. It was quite a happy place. I also have this picture where all of the people in the restaurant at the time are in one picture. Mm. And, you know, even after the restaurant was closed, we were still hanging out the restaurant. So I was talking to, you know, Atilio, who is the chef. And I was telling him that I'm also into food. By then, I had done a pop-up already. Right. My first pop-up had happened. We had done it on my... In Bangalore. Yes, on my terrace where we converted my terrace into a restaurant. I came up with a menu which was new and etc, etc. So I told him, I showed him my food and he was so happy. Then he said, would you like to cook in my restaurant? You know, again, all of this conversation that is day. happening. on that day. Yeah, he said. Hmm. So I said, of course. And I said, I'd love to learn about your culture, hmm. etc. And then he said, no, you have to cook Indian food. Hmm. So imagine an Italian restaurant turning into an Indian restaurant for one night. God. Uh, I, I, of course, agreed at the time. You know, next morning when I sobered up, I was like, what the f did I do? <laughs> also because he wanted me to cook Indian food and it's hard to find Indian ingredients. Yeah, and not just that. I think, okay, this is one problem. The second problem is Italian are really, really strict about their food. Yes. Next thing. Indian food in general, like, I mean, uh, they don't have palate for that and their customers are Italian. Yeah, right? yes, you're right. So whatever plan we had that day, like the morning after we woke up, we just cancelled that and we were just driving around Italy to find some Indian ingredients. I did get some spices, not all. Right. But I did get Kashmiri red chilli, which I felt was an important spice. Hmm. In a way, because... I always see people talking about, you know, Indian food is so spicy, but I... But Kashmiri chili is... Yes, the... but also I feel like chili also adds a dimension, right? It's not always about the spice. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Like Kashmiri chili is such an in interesting ingredient that it doesn't add that much heat. Exactly. But it adds loads of flavor. Yes, yes. So I brought all these ingredients to the restaurant and then we were like four hours to service time, hmm. which is horrible, by the way, because, you know, when you're planning for a service, you need to start at least 24 to even 48 hours in advance. Hmm. And I, of course, <laughs> didn't know, right. you know, much uh, at the time. So, you know, we reached the restaurant, you know, just four hours before the service time. And that to a Michelin star restaurant. Yeah. And then Atilio was like, of course, he was like, you're late. But he also was like, I'm the sous chef today and you are the chef because, you know, like, right. I don't know enough about your food. And I'm sure he was also sobered up by then. So he also knew this is a very hard one that he has picked up. And of course, his restaurant's reputation, in a way, is at line. Right. Like, right. And he agreed to let a random stranger... I know. I know. <laughs> Such a funny Indian thing. Food. Such right. a funny thing. And which is one of my, I think... What a beautiful memory. Yeah, I mean, it's the best story I have, honestly. And basically, I had a menu, which I had done in a pop-up. So it was not particularly Indian. But he wanted me to do something with chicken. And of course, they knew, you know, things like butter chicken, etc. He said, you need to include that in the menu. So everything else was, you know, modern and right, right. inspired. But this one particular dish was around like making chicken. Yeah, there's a hook, right? Like, yeah, 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 um, yeah. He's like, that's something people would love. I was like, mm. okay, fine. Let's include that. 
I of course didn't want to do it, but I could understand why. And how difficult it is butter chicken? It's one of the easiest recipes. Exactly right. Yeah. So, and then he looked at the chili, and he's like, "You can't add that." And I was like, <laughs> "You have to trust me now, because you know we are really near to the game time." Yeah. And well, you have already like taken a huge risk. Let's yeah, go let's, for it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then I remember him doing a face palm. He knew this is going to be a failure because you are putting chili and it's Italy and people have a certain palate. I of course added more cream. milk to kind of render the chili you know give it some body right. so that's not like coming across yeah so that it's not coming across like a hit right? right it's more like mellowed down right not like kashmiri food yes <laughs> so we made the menu you know we executed it the first dish went in it was i wouldn't say indian particularly it was you know i had made this broth out of coconut and it's kind of inspired from malu food but i wouldn't say that because i think there's a lot more to the dish and also there is a certain dimension but i kind of passed it off as sort of indian food so right. there was this mushroom cake and this coconut broth hmm. right so okay the coconut broth might be similar to what uh, they call uh, uh, stew right? stew yes but like also rendered with things like parmesan etc which also okay. makes it okay now uh, i think malu friends might be like exactly they'll be like whatever he's talking about or yeah, yeah malayali friends yeah, i'm let, sorry yeah <laughs> let's let's you know let's delete this podcast or whatever so anyways <laughs> uh, i wouldn't call it Malu food. I mean, coconut milk is used across the world. Right. But I did pass it off as you know, because I wanted to do food that I like to do. Right. So I and I'm not like I'm never like stuck to a cuisine, right? Mm-hmm. For me, it's more about deliciousness. Right. So it was mushroom cake with coconut broth. It went in first thing, and then Atilio is like, "Stop cooking, come in." Like come to the hall, and then when I came, wow. went to the hall, everyone was like, "Fungi," and it was basically, and uh, you know that. very italian expression but the whole hall was basically in unison saying that and uh, he's like everyone really loved it and then by then he had tasted the chicken as well and he was like oh nice very cool so we were very comfortable by then and then we served so basically we made a huge uh, you know pot right <laughs> imagine a michelin star we of course served everything else plated right, but this right, particular right. thing I was like, okay, fine. Like just dunked in people. Yeah, we basically everyone has a plate of rice, and everyone can basically, right. you know, the way we eat. Yes, exactly. I was like, okay, this is how we generally eat. I, of course, now by this time, I knew this was a success, so I could do whatever I wanted to. Mm. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna serve you the way I want to serve you. And then I did a dessert, and then at the end of it, of course, we be- became really I'm, good friends. I'm just curious about the dessert. You skip that part. What was it? It was sort of a kheer because we had rice. I got risotto oh. rice. Oh, risotto rice kheer. Yeah, because I mean it's all about starches, right? So I. I know, I know. And But, for me, it was like, okay, how do I make something that kind of makes sense? Dude, that, it was nice. It was nice. That I, sounds really good. But was it as good as like I can imagine it? Uh, like yes. Like with the risotto rice, did it make a difference? It was quite nice. It was really nice. It, it had it had more bite than because for us, like the 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 kheer is made with like. you know sometimes long rice or even short rice but our rice is also like sort of soft right when it's right. cooked uh risotto you know has a bite has a bite like an al dente for that to be matter. honest like the best kheer i uh, kheers i ever had had a bite to it like, nice i'm not fond probably of someone you know cared enough to keep it right like right, right, cuz right. kheer is generally cooked in a large yeah. pot and then you yeah. know you know what happens to it and then simmered over like yeah i'm not a fan of kheer let's start there but okay. i wanted to make something that would pass off as a dessert and also pass off as indian hmm so i had never made kheer before so i made my version of it so i'm sorry for calling it kheer but i did call it kheer that night 
because as you can imagine with four four hours of planning yeah. i had to put something up people really liked it to my surprise i also liked it that other thing was because i had indian friends i wanted them to actually give me the first opinion because hmm. it's also representing your food in a certain way right, right. so they loved it then i was like i don't care about italians anymore <laughs> you know so yeah anyways at at the end of this night we um, oh by the way this risotto kheer whatever it was served like a risotto like you know, a large plate really mm. small thing and then i made this honeycomb sort of a situation as a crunch in between right. um, oh, so you took caramel and yeah yeah and then i made some honeycomb which mm. had a nice crunch to it mm. I mean wow. believe it or not it worked. <laughs> Dude, I believe you. I never I never made it again, but that night it worked. But I'm just saying, just imagining this makes me hungry. AF. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was good. It was good. I, I I can definitely pass off on that. So, at the end of it, of course, we all became really good friends. I'm still in touch with Atilio so as my friends also. And it was such an emotional evening at the end of it. Uh, you know, from you know looking for food to something like this happening in a trip for that matter um you know for me i was like man this is yeah, i mean i'm i was kind of like done with the trip i was like i i don't want to make new memories on top of this right <laughs> you know uh, of course we did have few more days to go so we did make new memories but uh that night few things did strike me the first is uh, scale was a thing that i was taught as a kid you know from shabil yeah to making food for for you know the whole mahalla and what not and even though i was uncomfortable it worked out and i thought at that point that this is something that i always knew and it was second nature to me i just didn't practice it enough and that day it just worked out for me and then i also decided that i'll pursue sort of like i'll pursue food a little bit more which is when i decided i'll take an off and do something about food hmm So you know, I know we started the Lacorde and Blow story thirty minutes ago, but like this is the build-up, <laughs> right? To right, right, right. Actually, you know that time. No, I mean taking that plunge makes a lot. I mean it needs to be supported by why it even happened, right? Like, yeah, yeah. From that point to getting into Lacorde and Blow was four months. I'm very impatient like that. So like, Abhi, I've decided. Then I started looking up. Then of course culinary education is a thing that's very well understood. It was not like how I thought about design education. Right. My knowledge of it comes only from uh, Anthony Bourdain's books. Yeah. So which I've like fondly read because I'm a big fan. I'll of definitely that. talk about few instances that will confirm, you know, whatever you know. <laughs> yeah. So um, thankfully, just a month after my Italy trip, Didier, who is head of product design, rider at Uber, was visiting India. because of uber light which it was one of the most important projects in the company otherwise we didn't have that much face time with didier but like because of this project being an important project i and didier became friends hmm, hmm. and he's a very senior person he's very big shot very popular all of that i was always intimidated by him but at some point we became friends because he was into food so every time i go to sf we'll always you know go out you know and it always was a very beautiful experience and a beautiful right. relationship we shared so when he came to india i'm being very honest it was not selfish to convince him for me to go for this but i just wanted for him to taste my food hmm i basically invited him home with the rest of the team and we did a pop up style thing on my terrace and he loved my food and he, you know coming from someone like him who has eaten in every michelin star restaurant possible right and i was also he's also very honest because i knew he's so honest about design i'm sure he's yeah i mean uh, when you know that when a honest person compliments you you know yeah Yeah, so many times people will tell you things, and you're like, "Yeah, I know. I've seen you do this to others also." <laughs> so, so 
in this case you know that you know right. he's meaning it so he really liked my food and then i think our relationship grew fonder and then i think a month month and a half later i dropped the bomb did it i want to do this you please figure it out and i think i got to a point with him in the relationship where i was like i could say you figure it out you know because <laughs> yeah. at uber you could get a sabbatical after spending 5 years okay. i was only 3 years into uber right at that time but i was like i just need to do this and need 3 months off so i mean whatever you call it but he basically he's like anurag you always throw me into these problems but <laughs> i'll figure it out for you and then few days later he worked around and he's like okay fine they created this unique system for me where i had to still work for like 20% of the time hmm but like i'll be paid for 20% of the time but then i could focus on you know culinary studies the rest of the time and they gave me a project which wasn't critical hmm. so hmm. i could you know just spend those many hours whenever i wanted which i felt was you know the amount of freedom fair. you could that's not even fair that's actually quite uh, generous very generous hmm. 100% at least i didn't know of anyone who had you know done that so i applied you know you know with whatever it's like you write sops etc right and then i got in so i got a confirmation applied for visas etc everything happened and then i landed in london on 1st of january 2020 new year so school was starting on 5th and my idea of school was just taking time off for exploring food there was no particular agenda of joining a culinary school right let's start there so i was like okay cool i'll you know go to school on the weekends i'll take a train to paris have some croissants come back you know that sort of a situation right but the school was very strict that i only understood when i went to the school on the orientation day which was 6th of january i remember they gave us the schedule and the schedule was crazy it was from monday to saturday and many times many days it will start on 8 am few days it will end at 6 pm few days it will end at 9 pm you need to realize this is a very grueling time it's not like a yeah i mean it's not like an easy day of a school yeah i've read all about it in anthony bourdain's books <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they prepare you for that world yeah just to give an idea we would start our day at 6 am not 6 am at school but my day would start at 6 am i'll hmm. leave the home you know take a tube reach school by 7 get dressed up you know in in a chef's attire and then make sure that it's clean make sure it's ironed make sure every element of the uniform is intact and good and then reach the class 15 minutes before it starts so at 7:45 so they they can take the attendance in that time and the class could actually start at 8 and this was every day if you are late by 10 minutes you wouldn't get attendance so not by 755 but by 810 right so if you come at 810 which a lot of people not lot few people would you wouldn't get attendance and if you don't get attendance in the theory the practical of the same class you can't get attendance in that too very very strict <laughs> you yeah. couldn't take off hmm. you couldn't travel on weekends they are very clearly instructed that please don't travel on weekends cause there could be a surprise thing or you know there is not enough time because it's only one day so i mean many rules were there etc etc so it was interesting so the way it used to work was you basically go in the class and something is shown to you for example they they started with knife skills they'll show you something and then few hours later you are in a practical doing the same thing mm. and everything was marked So of course theory whatever people are showing you it's not marked but the minute a practical starts you have 2 hours to do the same thing and you were marked on various aspects right so your cleanliness your hygiene the final taste of the dish the presentation and organization which is time hmm. you will be marked out of 5 every single day sometimes twice a day and i'm like wow 
and you know being in a comfortable product design job to suddenly putting yourself in such an uncomfortable situation <laughs> uh, or uncomfortable position was quite interesting for me mm. in the first few weeks i was like i took a wrong decision because i wanted to learn more about food and this place just a disclaimer like i did a 3 months course i don't think i learned any recipe so many people are like oh wow you learned this recipe yeah. there like sometimes i put out something right. and they'll be like oh did you learn that at co-? i was like no it's like design school right they'll not tell you they'll not show you what the real world looks like right? right so mine was fundamentals so i didn't learn any recipe that i ever cooked again ever not even one right i mean i think that kind of summarizes but two weeks after i realized that i'm learning something else here and what i learned was discipline hygiene cleanliness working in a kitchen i think yeah. those learnings were very very big right i think managing yeah these many dishes managing number quality each time everything right yeah other thing about a culinary school is also that they will throw you into an uncomfortable situation so many times that you are always ready for it so imagine suddenly you are doing salads and then you move on to soups and next day you come into the class and they are filleting a fish hmm and me who has grown as a vegetarian <laughs> i of course i eat fish but right. i can't i mean i i could also fillet a fish hmm. but i couldn't fillet with a restaurant quality right i mean imagine like they are just showing you you know with a fish knife they just go through it it right. was very smooth for them and then 2 hours later you have to do it yeah and then you put it in the wrong bowl <laughs> you know i think the most difficult thing i ever seen i am sure there are more difficult things than that but is to uh, french uh, the lamb chops yeah like very uh, hard yes very just hard. the and we did that many times of course <laughs> but i do remember this one thing about culinary school mm. every time before entering into a practical i had this very weird anxiety very similar to entering a creative project mm. at the end of it i'd be as happy as coming out of a creative project so i was like wow you know like but i think it also made me ready for these kind of things happening to you every single day where yeah. you are like where you know how to navigate through it where you know how to you know keep your calm how to believe that right. it's not the worst thing mm. and I, again it may sound like oh i hate the school but i feel like uh, it it you know just to on the previous point suddenly we are like um moving from fish we are suddenly you know butchering a pig not right. killing a pig but like Butcher. you have a whole pig in front of you, you and then you have to hog and you have to cut it from the center using big things so yeah. used to use that like one of those uh, cha- like chainsaw knives yes yeah damn yeah and then you know and 2 hours later you are doing it yeah and if and you and when you do it so many times right like i think there is a certain kind of confidence that you kind of build uh, over the time and i think that's very very important about working in kitchens because people might be yelling at you or all kinds of things but you still have to do the thing in the right way right you are pretty much uh, uh, encountering hungry people so what else what words could it be yeah <laughs> i know i know and then even the professors or i mean not professor they were called chefs and they were of course chefs everyone had a certain way of giving feedback some were very very harsh and some were very very sarcastic i do remember this one time you know so every time you use use a cutting board it's of a different color for different things for example for vegetables it's green for let's say cutting meat it's red for cutting cooked meat it's yellow okay so i was cutting lamb chops on a green board i can already make a joke out of it but go for it 
And then uh, I remember Chef Collins. He basically, you know, came around me and he was like, does your lamb grow over the soil or under? And then I suddenly look at my board and then he just walks away. And of course, he deducted my marks in <laughs> yeah. hygiene because I'm using the wrong board. Right, the green one. Yeah, and the best part of this whole thing was uh, also that we had an exam at the end of this term, which was also something I didn't expect before, you know, mm. signing up for this course. I was like, I'm not, yeah, it's going to be a chill thing. But of course, it turned out to be an extremely intense uh, mm. sort of a course. In addition to that, I feel like, I think more than school, there were other schools at London for mm. me. Hmm. One was my Airbnb host, Sally. Uh, she was also like a cleanliness freak. And she was also into food. When I was in London, living at that particular Airbnb, you know, whenever I got time, I'd go to the kitchen, etc. And she would find like these minute things on the shelf and be like, this is not clean. And I always thought she's being rude, etc. But then I saw her, you know, doing that the same thing to her daughter. And then I was like, okay, cool. Like she's not being indifferent to me. Mm. And then over the time, I think we became really good friends. When I had my first knife cut, she was like, let's go celebrate it. And she, we went out, you know, and celebrated. And she was such a nice, like it's very motherly figure thing. that yeah. way. And she also wanted me to succeed in whatever I was trying to do. And I could see that generally. One day I said, I want to make madeleines. She had a lot of cookbooks. Next morning, imagine there were three cookbooks that she had like basically marked madeleines in on my, you know, on the kitchen table. And that was her love. Like, she'd never express it. You know, from action, she would do those things. That's super sweet. Yeah, very, very sweet. She also got me my first kitchen job ever. Okay. So she was eating out in this restaurant. I forgot the name of the restaurant now. But I think the chef's name was Joe. And she's like, Joe, this guy who lives at my house is a great cook. And I've had a lot of his food. I used to make bread at home. So basically, they stopped buying bread. I was making sourdough for everyone at home. So it was a nice family environment, honestly. Right. So she's like, oh, he makes brilliant bread. He's great and all of that. And, you know, he wants to experience the kitchen at some point. And then Joe messaged me and he's like, hey, I heard great things about you from Sally. Come work with me whenever you have time. And I, of course, had this extremely crazy course from Monday to Saturday. And then right. guess what? I made my Sunday verse too. So <laughs> <laughs> on a Sunday, I'd go, you know, work at that restaurant. And which was my first ever sort of a professional real exposure of like serving, you know, you know, like restaurant food and also making sure it's up to the quality that that restaurant is, you know, known for and, and which had its own sort of learnings, right? It's like, being in a design school versus being in a design studio. You know what I mean? Right, I get it. So I had a mix of both, which mm. was beautiful. And I kind of had planned that, you know, so my course was ending on March 4th and I had a ticket for April 4th. So I was like, I'm going to take a month and like just spend time in kitchens and work in kitchens. So I had already worked at Joe's restaurant. There was another restaurant called Zikoni, which I really loved and you know, the chef at Zikoni, Ravinder Bogal. She's an amazing chef. And I basically wrote to her, etc, etc. And she's, and I was like so hopeful that she'll invite me to the kitchen to work for like a month. And she replied back saying, sorry, I mean, we spend a lot of time training people and we would, we would at least want you for six months. I mean, I love what you wrote and I love your, whatever you're doing, but we can't accept you for a month. Right. I was, of course sort of heartbroken because my plan was Le Cordon Bleu and then Zikoni. That was my whole education sort of a program. And then 
I just used the same email and wrote to many more chefs. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, then, right. you know, Atul Kochar, who is like a celebrity chef, you know, he comes in this show called Million Dollar Menu, hmm. Million Pound Menu on Netflix. Hmm. Um, also, he's a known chef. He replied hmm. saying, yeah, I would love to have you in the kitchen for a month. So, you know, the restaurant is called Kanishka. So I went to Kanishka and um, started working there. And it was a modern Indian restaurant. Right. So it was quite quite nice. I mean, it was very different take on Indian food. Right. And I don't think I'll ever cook modern Indian food. All huh. my experiences are super irrelevant. Like mm. from La Blue, <laughs> I never used anything. And then I went to Kanishka, which I never intend to use the learnings from. But I mean, mm. restaurant learnings are restaurant learnings. I mean, they just exist in a way, right? Yeah. They stay with you. So I was working in Kanishka. Third day at Kanishka, Atul Kochar walks in. And then he's like, are you Anurag? I was like, yeah. He's like, how did you get my email? I'm so impressed. And I was like, you know, I work in software. But anyways, um, and he was chatting with me. He kind of knew that I have, you know, I'm not here to become a chef, but I have, you know, other things. I, I had already written all of that in my email. So, you know, we chatted for really long. At the end of the conversation, it became like an hour long conversation. And Atul Kochar is a very, very strict person in the kitchen. Everyone else in the kitchen saw me chatting with Atul Kochar and they thought we are, we know each other or we are related, etc. So that day onwards, which was my third day, everyone started treating me really well, like exceptionally well. And I was like, that's a really good trick, by the way. No, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you why it didn't work. So right. I'll tell you why it helped and what it helped me with. Right. By the way, before that, do you want to uh, go eat and come back and record? All this talk about food was making us extremely hungry, so I took Anurag to one of my favorite authentic Chinese restaurants. It's a very difficult menu yeah. to decide from. Yeah. I think I love everything that I see. Yeah, and we have to record after this. So. I'm like so excited that it's a proper Chinese place. Thank you for bringing me here. Yeah, I am looking at the whole menu before. I think this looks good, but uh, I don't think I should be eating pork fat right now. Yeah, I mean, we <laughs> had a so lot much of fat, fat in the morning. Yeah. Not regretting it, but... Uh, yeah, 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 never. I definitely want fried rice. That's my... Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, we need a filling dish too. No, no, it's more about like, I just love fried rice. Yeah, I'm also fried rice kind of person. But for me, fried rice always had like this connotation of like cheap takeaway. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah. Oh, okay. this is tea? Yes. Okay, probably. sure. Even better. This is also how you know it's authentic. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Let's have one crunchy prawn, 100%. Sure. Done, done, done. I'm with you on that. This one? Uh, or this one? The fried pork? This one I've tried. It's nice. Let's do that then. Okay, let's go for that. Oh, this looks good. I think we should do that let's for, go for sure. Let's go for this. Like for sure. So we'll be stupid if we are not doing ah, this. Ah, this, this for sure. Yeah. It's Price uh, bhi hai, I'm sure because <laughs> not many people are ordering the like yeah. It's a uh, hot chili meat in all. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a different name to it. Yeah. Let's do this. Okay. Very excited. Total four items. Yes. Yeah. Four items for two people. Perfect. With very large <laughs> portion sizes. There we ordered meat in chili oil, some fried rice, some crispy prawns, and a small serving of pork. Okay. okay. The hot chili meat is here. It has, I can visibly see a lot of garlic. There's pork choy, yes. garlic. The tail of pork choy. Yep. And then uh, Szechuan peppercorn. Yep. 
I'm extremely <laughs> excited. I'm gonna and hungry. <laughs> I'm gonna quickly try the broth. Good. Really good. Looks glutinous like. Hmm. Wow. Oh. Good. This is really good. Oh my god. Lovely. I'm transported. It's, it's genuinely amazing. This is a secret place. I'm not going to repeat the name of this place in the podcast, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, keep it that way. <laughs> Dude, the depth of flavor. You see this that? This is really good. This is um, Nihari level stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you see the fat floating. Oh, wow. It's sizzling. And the prawns look <laughs> unreal. Damn. Should we get uh, chopsticks? Chopsticks. Okay. Right there. I can't get enough of this broth, man. This is really good. Blow my mind. Really good. What's it called in Chinese? Anurag was mind blown with their meat broth and he asked the owner for the actual Chinese name of that dish. Meat in chili sauce or something? Oh, Shredu, New Rope. On New Rope? Yes. This one. Yeah, yes. Shredu. No, here. Can you type it for me? Because I. Like, beating you can type that. I'm already eating the product. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is very good. One of the best things I ate in a very long time. Thank you. A fried us here too. Yes. It's also very simple and just well done. Remember we were talking about the wok. Right. This is magic of the wok. Yeah. I mean, I'll never, like, if I had a recipe, I 100% know I can't do it. You can't do it. Because it's, it's the heat that I don't have <laughs> accessible in a home. And you'll notice that anything that's cooked on wok, mm. most of it is wok and very less, you know, like, you know, for example, the best fried rice, it will probably have a little bit of oyster sauce. Yeah. And it's salt. Yeah. That's about it. A little Egg, bit of soy Maybe green. Yeah. Onion. That's about it. Like the basics. Yeah. yeah. It's all the are. taste is the wok. Which is. Oh wow! Basically, we got uh, rice, pork, which is fried with peppers, and there's sesame oil, which sesame is oil amazing sesame oil, soy sauce, and then I kind of presume this is going to be the best bite of the day, and it was. Kaval goes, why guru, why guru, why guru, why guru, why guru, and I was like, wow. Yeah. Is there a better way to I, I'm give it satisfaction? I mean, this this was. So good. It's hard to explain in words, especially just this. good sesame oil. Yeah, the sesame oil is really good. It's magic. And after that amazing dinner, we had some ice cream. I had a scoop of allspice berry ice cream and Anurag went for the blueberry cheesecake. It was really good. And I think it was the best food day in months. And I'm glad I made my guest happy. How was the dinner? Wow, it was one of the best meals I had in a very long time. I, the interesting part is that after coming back you just checked out all the recipe of... Yeah, because it was the first time I was having like proper authentic Chinese in India. I mean, of course, I've had some in Calcutta. Um, I mean, Calcutta has always been a mix of like Tangra, Indo-Chinese and um, right. you know, also authentic Chinese. But this was way beyond my expectations. Now I have like 
completely forgot on the track we are so hungry i think we were talking about atul kochar yeah yeah <laughs> okay awesome i'll try to continue <laughs> you know after this meal it's yeah, going to I've be i've had difficult. a food coma now <laughs> so yeah i was saying that atul basically once came to the kitchen and we had a very long discussion and everyone thought that i and atul know each other Hmm. and someone asked me they said do you know atul i was like yeah yeah we are friends <laughs> cuz i was like i'm just going to play along yeah but it didn't go as i expected azan so they were treating me like this you know extremely junior intern cook okay two days before which means like cutting a lot of onions and like doing a lot of prep work <laughs> being busy 24/7 right to now being treated really really well so hmm. basically you know the head chef shishir he was like anurag have you tried this and like i hadn't tasted any food in that restaurant up till that point and kanishka is a very expensive place right like if you go out for a meal it'll be like 100 150 pounds which is about 10k inr to that's up to yeah. 15k also right and i almost tasted every dish on the menu that day because she was like anurag you haven't tried this and anurag did you try our you know scallops and you know mm-hmm. i tried everything i was treated really well mm-hmm. and i was given no work oh which like, goes against what you were looking for right i know and then i just didn't turn up the next day oh it was so hard because i felt like uh, i will you know have more fun right but next morning i just didn't feel like i, I was like i think i've got to do a point where i was like you know it can't get better right number one like i tasted everything there's no new dish that i'm going to try of course uh, you know there was one of the highlights of that conversation with atul but then i also thought it's going to be a repeat hmm hmm even if i'm not tasting more food i'll be probably doing no work hmm. and no work in restaurants means some work but like not as much work as other people hmm. like the we call the the term is called stage like these unpaid kitchen help right which is which is what i was okay and they hmm. work the hardest hmm. so i should be working the hardest right so which is why i thought i'm not going to go back hmm. and i wrote to another chef hmm. oh damn i forgot the name of the chef but the restaurant was called cricket okay k r i s e k e t okay it was a indian restaurant run by a britisher which basically meant british indian food no it was modern indian okay it's the kind of food that was like of course new and sort of recreated or like you know amped up or whatever that means hmm. and then it was conceptualized by a britisher which hmm. basically meant that most of their clientele was britishers he right. really got the formula right like it was one of the most popular restaurants i've ever worked in mm. like i imagine after the break we'll come back at 5 pm mm. and 5:30 it used to open in the evening and people will start lining up at 5:15 and you wouldn't find a single indian in that queue but it was a very popular restaurant i also thought the food was tasty of course as a indian you can always have opinions but right but i felt from a from a conceptual level which basically means you know cooking the things in the right way respecting the ingredients you know cooking the meat in the right way for that matter all of that was really well taken care of right so i really liked that restaurant um again my aim was not to learn like a particular dish right from the restaurant that's never yeah, also I mean, the it's aim. also where you it's not like you're going to replicate it yeah, yeah yeah it was more about just learning to be in a kitchen right and this was the hardest i've ever been in mm-hmm. like it was one of the most exhilarating days of my life so i spent about a week in that restaurant but like my first day was the craziest because imagine like being in this kitchen you know i came in the morning and they tasked me onto something and i cut my hand the difference between this kitchen and like my kitchen at kanishka is that kanishka was a very well guarded kitchen hmm. which basically meant the kitchen was 
in the basement and the restaurant was upstairs oh, okay and then whatever is happening in the kitchen is pretty safely guarded from the guests so if mm. something goes wrong you can make it again right right and things right. will work out this was a open kitchen restaurant so there were guests sitting right across the kitchen they can see you they can see you also means there is a certain kind of a decorum hmm but in addition to that it's also a very very popular restaurant so imagine the amount of food being produced was maybe 10x more than kanishka oh so that speed yeah. but also a kitchen which is visible to everyone was quite a crazy combination so we had a lunch service where i cut my hand because mm. of the mm. pressure mm. and then you know the chef who was the head chef i don't know why he put me on the pass so pass is where the dishes go out right 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 so at the pass you have to plate the final thing so imagine we are serving duck curry Hmm. someone will give me the curry hmm. i'll take the duck put it in the oven make sure it's cooked to the right temperature and put the condiments on the final plate and make it look the way it looks good right and all these restaurants people post food on instagram etc yeah it matters each plate <laughs> needs to look really good so and this place was very much condiment driven hmm. so they had like some six to seven things that would go after the final thing is done so you know sometimes there'll be uh, some nuts some spring onion etc etc right and every plate was plated differently which is obvious but for me think about it as a very stressful thing so hmm. the chef came in he's like since you cut your hand let's put you on the pass this is how you have to plate each dish so he showed me every dish only once hmm. and imagine <laughs> we had some 20 things on the menu wow so you and every dish was a permutation and combination of 15 condiments in front of you in addition to that you have to cook some meat whenever there is a meat order in addition to that there could be a gluten free order where you have to you know avoid a certain condiment there right. could be a someone with nut allergy then you avoid the peanuts like those kind of things were also right. there right if you've seen that sort of machine where all the orders print right every time i would hear the sound of the machine i would get anxiety because i will be like mm. i don't know what to do on this particular one because hmm. like it, it all kind of mixes up right? right in a way and i then suddenly remember that i'm in such an easy job because we join our jobs we make mistakes for two months no one says anything <laughs> and then you slowly kind of adapt to it and then you start working and no one expects you to right. like be fully available or like you know you're 100% right and also like it's not like every move matters like yes. that kind of thing yeah. you can mess up and do it yes again. that's such But an important point that. actually i never thought like that yeah. here i mean every movement in your you know the way you are doing things in the kitchen matters right, right. and you might be affecting someone else's work right because of what you are doing right and that's how good kitchens are run right, right. they are perfectly oiled machines when when everyone is working in their 100% is when they have a good service day if one person it is at their 70% the whole kitchen will mess up right right it's that is a sort of stress that you have in that environment my lunch service was very 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 stressful i asked the chef a couple of times and i think he yelled at me once and he was like you know it's so basic and you know you can't i'm like i'm only been here 4 hours you know and it's yeah it's like i don't know it was really hard and then we i went out you know calmed myself up like had some coffee had some bake came back at 5 and this is my first day and then i suddenly saw a queue outside and i'm like <laughs> lunch service was probably half the restaurant oh. and suddenly this is like a 80 cover restaurant which is quite a lot of people hmm it was like on the on the ground floor and the basement so how many people are at the pass one person one person for which eight. is me <laughs> oh, wow so i was i can't tell you i was so stressed i was i felt like running away and then i just thought 
I want to do this. It's just quite interesting. And then I was like, I'm gonna be calm and I try to remember and make sure that I don't Simple, right? But not that simple. Not that simple. That sounds so like I started, I started like churning out dishes. Mm. It started at five. And I think crowd got to a point when the restaurant was completely full. Mm. And if someone leaves, someone else comes in because there's a queue. So we got to a working model and it was, it was working perfectly well. And I was like, wow, I finally got the gist of it. Other people were also approving of whatever I was doing. I could see that the whole thing is working really well. To give you an idea, like, I mean, I'm at the pass, someone is at the fryer, someone is at the cold station, someone is at the hot station, someone is at the mains. So all sorts of people and everyone is collaborating in a way. Hmm. Believe it or not, right? Like sometimes a plate passes from a hot station to me, to someone, you know, you know what I mean? Right. And the final plate is like kind of judged by the wait staff because they know the quality and then right. it goes out. Sometimes they'll call the chef also, like in the lunch service, uh, you know, they called the chef and they were like, you know, this plate doesn't look as good. And the chef was like, yeah, this whatever boy. You I don't know, know what he said. I never thought like a uh, wait staff would judge the dish before. This is what, this is how like the newer restaurants are run, right? Okay. Everyone is responsible for the like experience. This. Yeah. Which is how things can be run, right? Like mm. everyone is, you know, it, it's how even a good company is run, right? Like everything is your job right. in a way. Right. And nothing is your job. Just talking about that. So it was about 7 p.m. The time is really important here. So we had this duck that was supposed to be put in the oven because it was sitting in front of me in a pan. Basically, you shouldn't touch a pan without a cloth. Right, of course. It could be hot. Right. Right. It's a basic kitchen principle. And most of the kitchens also just leave a cloth hmm. if it's hot. Hmm. I don't know why I thought, but because it was sitting next to me, I thought it needs to go in the oven. Hmm. And I didn't realize it has come out of the oven and someone has kept it. Oh. Now, I grab the handle of this pan like and imagining down. that you know it's cold and you know basically a full grab right 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 and i don't know it was what it was it, it used to go into a 200 degree celsius oven oh, and it had just come out hmm. so i grabbed it and of course i burnt my hand really really bad and it's important to know that this can happen also because i was churning about 20 plates a minute I'm not kidding. So imagine like so many plates in front of me and I have to like quickly remember, make sure it's plated well, make sure it looks really good and also make sure like take care of nut allergies and all of those things that mm. I mentioned. Mm. So I like held it. I burned my hand really bad. I, I could, I cannot scream because there are guests in front of me. Yeah. Uh, you somehow have to control it. Right. But then I also felt that you know, it's being run so well. I was kind of proud of myself that, you know, I'm not being a bottleneck here, which could be the case, especially Someone like me is on the pass, who is like, they're in their first day. Like at Kanishka, they would never put me on the pass. Hmm. Pass is the most important place. Right, I don't know why right. he put me on the pass. Anyways, uh, what had happened was, I just realized that this is being run so well. I had a tap behind me. So every few seconds, I'll wash my hands. And there'll be a relief of 30 to 40 seconds. I'll do my walk, wash my hands again. For three hours. Continuously. Continuously. I'm That's not kidding. Like drying your hands, right? And it was 10.30 is when the last order goes out. The last order went out. And of course, after that team does a debrief and then how the service was in. This is part of all good restaurants. Right. So team does a debrief, how the service went. Then everyone has dinner. And the minute service is over, I told the head chef, my hand is burnt, I'm going to go. And he's like, are you stupid? Why didn't you tell me before and all of that? And you wouldn't imagine that it is such a busy kitchen that no one would have seen that this happened. Hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So they actually didn't notice that this has happened. So I was like, yeah, I'm stupid, but let me go. And he's like, okay, fine. He gave me some burn all. 
so i put banal on my hand and then i got out and i think it took me at least 2 hours to recover like enough to sleep that night but i think at the end of it weirdly i was feeling good also <laughs> you know because yeah. i was like i you know i i mean i wouldn't recommend that of course if yeah, you, you have an injury you should yeah. attend to it but that day i don't know i just felt like i am going to do this for the team which is weird because yeah but that was one of the crazy experiences i spent about 4 weeks no not 4 weeks il- no 11 days at this restaurant and then i was going to go to my f- final restaurant called the pigeon i've heard about that yeah It's they have a- probably the most beautiful plates in the world like what i mean by plates it means plated food so right. it's a michelin star again yeah yeah i think uh, in london yeah i think i uh, might have heard in a, some random it's podcast. very popular yeah very popular so i had written to them as well trust me a simple message on instagram <laughs> and the owner replied said i'm going to talk to chefs chefs called me i said okay fine come tomorrow this is the first time i'm going to something that was super relevant to me like something i actually wanted to learn so the first day i go to pigeon and you know they gave me some work the second day i went to pigeon and they asked me to prepare some meatballs for a certain menu i did what was asked they were very like inclusive of the team in a way that i felt a part of the team it was like a five people team running like a restaurant which had just 20 covers mm. very expensive food mm. but like very very considered so and they also like took my feedback in the final thing and i felt i actually created something you wouldn't imagine this menu would change every week hmm. so since the inception of this restaurant which is like maybe 4 years every week they have changed their menu completely and never went back to the previous menu they have created about 500 dishes in total and they have this rule where they never repeat anything wow that's like some commitment right yes there. yes and also producing delicious food and like you know keeping a michelin star with that ha ah. and also not capitalizing on something that they have created delicious which i, right. I just never understood the restaurant the next thing people sometimes think is that scale it up or something like that yeah exactly right mm-hmm. so i created that not knowing what's going to happen that evening i go back and we were partying with my friends and like with the cordon blue people what had happened was we were in pain together all day and we became really good friends yeah that's that how happens, you right? develop camaraderie among people yeah, right yeah that happens right so we were we were partying then there's one indian friend of mine who also was a part of the course and she was like you know what tomorrow the flights are getting banned oh this and is like india pandemic time yes yes it was around the chinese new year and london gave zero <laughs> about covid and i'm i'm sure it's pretty yeah, widely it's a known known yeah so we didn't know what is happening honestly mm-hmm. so many people like tell me that oh wow like you should have come back before but like for me the news was what i was reading seeing and reading in front of me right i mean uh, there are few countries sweden england these like they they were going the opposite direction yeah they were like oh to. let's create whatever right like yeah. mass immunity or whatever that meant yeah, at yeah. that time so news was what was happening in front of me and for me it never felt like a serious thing also we have never seen something like this happen before right so i mean it took a lot of time to believe, believe that it. this is happening right yeah. I, i think even after we were in a lockdown we always felt it's going to be you Quite know over in a week or so or yeah. maybe two weeks right yeah or when the lockdown gets over we are going to be out again so we were in that phase and she's like you know india is banning flights from uk because even us had already done it right because of the approach uk was taking i was in a party you could imagine right it was uh, and it felt like a joke right like it felt I mean, like a joke un- unbelievable kind yeah, of yeah like yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> and then next morning i get 
a message from the head chef and he was like oh sorry we have to close the restaurant because the rules are getting stricter and because it's a michelin star they have to be extra careful right you know kind of clientele they have right right, right 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 so you know he's like we're going to close the restaurant and i was like i don't have anything else to do in this country anymore and then i looked at the news at 9:30 am and it was true that they were actually banning the flights so i was looking for flights to go back because i have actually nothing to do and then i found a flight very expensive it was some 180000 just one side god and i was like i'm not going to take that fir i found some shady website where i got a same flight for 34k wow some shady website i don't even know i just put my credit card on it because i was like this is worth the risk because <laughs> i'm not going to pay 180 right but this is at least one way of getting out of the situation and the country yeah so i put my credit card i never received a ticket for one hour but i started packing assuming this is real so you have to imagine that this was at 10 am my flight was at 130 oh. pm and the whole house is like nicely set up <laughs> it was like I was living there for a very long time right. so it's not like a suitcase i have a room which is pretty nicely set up i have right. all my whatever things uh, you know my my clothes are uh, you know in the cupboard and all those things so i had to pack everything down in like i gave myself an hour so i packed right. everything down in an hour and then i just left without again having a ticket right i mean i never received a ticket trusting a shady website yeah cuz <laughs> it's like the transaction went through yeah and then somehow on the web check-in website the code worked and showed my name that's all this was mean. on the way yeah to the airport and i'm known for like being really late on flights and like <laughs> not missing but like being on the edge right and this was the most intense situation that as as far as like being on the edge is concerned so it was about an hour and 10 minutes to the flight and i was still on my way to the airport and i also imagined there'll be way too many people on the airport trying to get home and this is not going to work out anyways i reached one hour 4 minutes is one hour is where a international check in kind of closes right and then ran in there was no one i don't know why i was probably lucky showed my whatever they're like yeah cool i was like wow this ticket is real only when i got to the other side hmm. is realized what happened in the last 12 to 14 hours right cuz i was looking forward to work in pigeon i mean the other two experiences were fine but this is the one i was looking forward to and i was honestly angry at the situation right and i was like oh no it's just cut short and i have to go back because of this stupid thing now it was a stupid thing then because at least london or we didn't understand how you know crazy it is going to get so i get into the flight and i was angry throughout the flight i got down i opened instagram the first post was of pigeon which had those meatballs that i had created with other things and they were saying we are doing takeaway menu for the very first time because we have prepared this food oh. even though we have closed the restaurant today we are doing a takeaway meal that you can buy Damn. for me there was full circle because i was like okay it's happening for a reason came out of the flight first post i mean sure, i mean <laughs> you could believe or not believe but like it's no, better to I, believe I, I in a situation believe. like that i do believe i mean yeah. during those times everything felt felt so surreal and things were happening and i calmed down after looking at that post because i was like okay like i Generally i was able thing. to put yeah something on the menu that people consumed and then of course you know i came back and we were you know what happened after right we were logged into you know i came back to bangalore i was logged into the thing for few world, months world's biggest lockdown ever yeah ever. <laughs> you're right you're right yeah and but i mean how was uh, that phase like for obviously you told about what you were doing at uber uh, let's talk about your cooking during that lockdown time how was that like yeah I mean you I came back and of course it took me a lot of time to get myself together because 
Yeah, just I was looking for yeah, and then I was like, maybe the country is stupid because London me everything is working, whatever. Like. So uh, I was like, okay, fine. I started to cook here and there, thoda bahut. And then I think I, at some point, of course, you know, I came in terms with the reality, and I was like, okay, cool. Now I'm locked down, and I'm gonna experiment. There was limited set of ingredients available because, as you know, that everyone was kind of holding on, you know, edible ingredients and. Uh, I had whatever I had, so started cooking, and then it was nice because I, then I came back to work as well, which I talked about. But there was way more time at hand because I didn't. I don't know if I talked about it, but my commute from my home to workplace is about an hour. I live in oh, Indranagar, okay. okay, and the office is in Sarjapur, which is where I cannot, you know, put up because hmm. I like life. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I suddenly saved like two two and a half hours from that. Hmm. Also, when there is no chit chat, less meetings you can get done with work. Yeah, I work much faster. Long. And if you remember, it wasn't. I mean, the first lockdown was mostly only just lockdown. Like we didn't know of at least I didn't know of COVID cases that I knew firsthand. So it was a very pretty chill time. Ha ha ha. It's just like okay, fine. You are in a forced situation. Ha. I mean, uh, if you had a full time job, it was one of the chill time. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Right. For so for so many, I, I'm also lucky for that. Hmm. Honestly, right. Like so for so many people, so many other things had happened. At the time, and you had to just take care of your life. Yeah. For me, everything was sorted. Came back from London, of course. You know, whatever happened, happened. But I was honestly just grateful. And then I was working, and there was quite a lot of time. And then, of course, you know, I had spent time in restaurants. I wanted to cook more, so I started cooking. I think in the pandemic is where I kind of created the style of food that I do. What does that mean? What's the style of food? And what's your style of food? Yeah. So it's. Probably gonna sound borderless pretentious, but no, I don't think so. Go for it. But what I call my food is like it's I call it borderless. Okay. Which basically means I'm not like sticking to a particular cuisine, but I'm only focusing on deliciousness. Cause cause I think like having spent enough time across hmm. the world and eating various renditions of dishes, I kind of realized that nothing is authentic per se. Right. I Unless know. you call something a certain way. Right, I think I think uh, the if people read about the history of food, any yeah. food, Indian food, whatever we think is Indian food, it's not Indian. Yeah, it's all it's all thanks to diaspora, right? Yeah, diaspora. It's uh, also like a lot of uh, things were brought to India by colonial rules, yeah. uh, travelers, merchants. Yeah. Uh, I mean, potato, chili, all of these things are not Indian. Like you're I mean, right, tomato you're is right. not Indian. If we think, yeah, India no, you're right. Like you're right. So yeah, I get. What yeah. You so mean. basically, yeah. Even example of like, we call a certain food Indo-Chinese, but in reality, that was a reality of Chinese people who could get certain kind of ingredients in India, and they yeah. created a cuisine out of it. Yeah. I think it's very much authentic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unless you want to go by nation state as a unit yeah. of humanity, which is like not really. It's right? hard to express these opinions because everyone is like. You know, this is a certain way, but I, right. at least for myself, I've understood that very clearly. Right. And that's by experience, and no one can take that away from me. So for me, it was always about creating deliciousness. For which basically means, when things go together in my head, I just make it happen. And if it's delicious, I serve it to people. <laughs> it's probably as simple as it gets. Right. And also as layered and complicated as you can think right. of it. Right? I'm sure you add a little bit of your signature in things. I mean, for me, uh, you know, being a designer slash sort of, you know, in a way, artist also. For me, I really care about 
you know how the final thing looks for that matter right so that's one thing that cannot go wrong hmm. and then the other thing is it has to be delicious i'm like quite a hard critic on myself so there's so many times i create something and i'm like nope not working out forget about it hmm. and only when i feel that you know i enjoy it is when i'm comfortable sharing it with other people so what had happened in the lockdown was of course i started creating food i started posting about it here and there on instagram and then i think at some point i was like you know dunzo etc is functional if anyone wants just pick it up for free and i also realized so many restaurants were not operational maybe people were craving things which is why people were cooking so much right so i was like okay yeah here is this interesting cake that i made want to try please uh, send a dunzo and it's for free on me and i did that for a very long time at some point i thought okay maybe let me do it a little bit more commercially not for the money of it but also to reach an audience outside of friends hmm. because so many people will be like yeah probably I mean, not message you because they don't know you yeah i mean not just that like people uh, will feel shy about it too yeah exactly i think i always like sent my food or served it to friends and i wanted to break that and see like if there is an audience so yeah one day i just posted here are these things if you want to buy this is the cost and you know you could buy and then the first one that i put out i remember i got like i there were 12 portions of something and got sold out in like two and a half minutes wow and then i was like okay people were looking for this right you know cuz right. everyone was on instagram 24/7 right right like you were right in lockdown uh, that became yeah a... you were on your desktop you were in your phone mm. right i mean that those were the two states or like maybe you were chilling but mostly you know anxious and knowing about the world sometimes we were checking co- number of covid cases doom scrolling doom scrolling yes i mean yeah. everyone had their own way but hmm. a lot of it meant you know being on a digital platform or device and hmm. you know spending time there so it also meant a lot of audience was online so i'm not saying it was also like whatever viral but also meant right. that too right. many people were online right i mean uh, both i mean you were trying to discredit your no no so because <laughs> i remember when i offered for free it will you know so some people will message i know them it take mm. an hour mm. first time i put it out no like, but i think that's what i was saying it's, it opened up a door like, for people like i would be shy to order for free yeah yeah i know like, what you mean and then um i was like this is going really well i did a lot of that but i was making things that already exist mm. so making a cake that people know of and at some point i just like hit a point of discomfort or not being creatively satisfied with that mm. Mm. So I was like I'm going to create something that they don't know slowly built an audience so they're going to now just trust that I make good food. Hmm hmm. And I put out something new which they don't know about even I don't know about I don't know what to call it. Right. But it's a nice delicious thing. Yeah. To give an example what would you I think my first one was this uh burrata dish and of course burrata wasn't available which basically meant I made the cheese from scratch. But in addition to that I had I think burrata is a very tough cheese to it's make. It's a hard one. Right. I also had a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. But you need that skin and the inside yes, aspect. Yes, it's it's effort for sure. Right. I I I'll, I'll be lying if I say it's not a lot of effort. So I did like a burrata and I kind of paired it with some fruit, which of course burrata is generally with tomatoes and you know, very known combination. So Yeah, tomato, basil, yeah, I, olive I, oil. Yeah, I I paired it with some fruit and then I had some fried barley and it was very vinegary, so I kind of created this sauce with like vinegar and uh, butter. Okay. So it becomes like a nice. You mean balsamic vinegar? No, no, no. It was actually white wine vinegar. So oh. it's sharp. So the fruits are sweet. Interesting. And the sauce was sharp. Right. And the fried barley was crunch. And this is basically purely made out ingredients that were available 
एट द टाइम ब्रेनी आई हैड इन द फ्रीजर बट लाइक मिल्क वॉज रेडिली अवेलेबल एंड देन फ्रूट आई गॉट प्योर एट द टाइम दैट वॉज ओनली फ्रूट एज ए इंटरेस्टिंग कॉम्बो पाइस इट वॉज नाइस इट वॉज नाइस आई मीन I was like okay now I am enjoying this because <laughs> I think for me it's always about that I I don't I mean I, I like for example I make a very good carbonara I like I make a neapolitan style pizza but I'll never sell it I will make it for myself or make it for friends but then when I'm putting a piece of myself out it's it's always something new which someone can experience right through me which I like right and also the comments that pour in after that you know that kind of completes the story so I did that Uh, in fact my comments were also there yeah, like, <laughs> but you never had right so yeah you, i couldn't try you were just, just like, like you like... look at the poem and be like why guru <laughs> and i was like this is a fun guy <laughs> that's that's my favorite reaction and people kind of feel uh, you know not strange. many people will get it yeah no, not many people will get it and i just like whenever somebody puts like really good lamb chops on me i'm like why guru what like this is something yeah but anyway yeah anyway so and i did that it was quite nice mm-hmm. and then um i continued to do that basically i made a lot of things so mm. every 3 days basically mm. i'll put something out mm. people would done so and i'll sell then i started hoarding a lot of packaging of different kind right tried creating new packages thoda bahut if print shops were opening i was putting nice prints with it and all of those things and then i remember at one point i saw this one instagram page it's called the soul company and they had the best chefs that i know in bangalore who were basically making food on the weekend and doing something similar which is basically selling to an audience and take away because of course it's a dark time right and food is you know it kind of uplifts you so i really be. believed in it and i was already doing it but they had of course a certain kind of chefs on the platform i had no hopes somana who is the founder of soul company i wrote to him basically i wrote to the soul company page and i was like hey you know i'd love to put it out and they were like oh we have a process so you send it food to like us send to other sort of their critique sort of people and then if we like it then we'll put you on the platform hmm i was like sounds fair ah fair cuz they were not like outrightly sorry bro don't know about you <laughs> and these people of course very well known so yeah. i kind of like the generosity from that point of view so i sent food i created some menu on the fly spent the whole day prepping and next morning i sent like a brunch menu which i very vividly remember very beautifully packed all of that and i sent it to everyone and the rest of the day i was anxious basically thinking i don't know what's going to happen yeah. i really badly wanted it right. because i felt like you know i want someone else to kind of challenge me the good thing about them was that they had these weekly menus where they'll create a theme and chefs will cook on that theme and i was like nice it's a creative brief if you yeah. think about it yeah so i wrote to them i of course like sent the food and then i think in the evening they wrote back to me and they were like oh wow we were mind blown and you should definitely be on the platform that made me very happy <laughs> and they also sent the brief the next day mm. which was just 3 days away from that time so imagine they gave me a message on a wednesday so after that message 3 days later they reached out to me with the new theme which was happening 3 days from that point mm. so they sent me a message on wednesday the delivery was on saturday it was called guilty pleasures oh nice one now nice brief so mana he's like also a very good writer and he can like think about you know all these unique themes you know i i also talked about that theme right which was going back to your roots right right in the right. morning in the morning yeah right. and 
that was also by them. Hmm. So I created a nice menu, and of course I was like the underdog in that menu. Like you will see, you know, Chef Gautam, who is like very well known. You know, Navu Project, who is Kanishka, very well known. And then some like guy, <laughs> <laughs> some Anurag, <laughs> who also created a menu. But I kind of knew that I've created a menu that. Hmm. definitely invited some interest because hmm. i went into that theme very deeply and again with what designers did, right you what did you create but do you remember i remember one dish very clearly which became one of the top sellers after that but i did this chocolate and rum panna cotta okay and i also made it to a point which where it was deliverable hmm i see i mean generally that's the problem with, with yeah. takeaways yes and it was with the espresso sauce so uh, imagine like a very good quality chocolate and some rum mm-hmm. very nice combo but i created an espresso sauce which was extremely sharp mm. and then there was some you know biscuit crumb some fruit nice combo um, and it was more like i said sort of a guilty pleasure right so the best thing about the whole thing was we put out the menu and mine one got sold out the fastest while i was like i was like so please tell me if this doesn't get <laughs> sold and i'll probably make less portions that uh, than good moment yeah we had like 20 and then he's like can you make 24 and it was pretty cool i was like okay wow interesting cuz you know that's definitely what i was not expecting and it was probably yeah. just the menu cuz no, no one had tasted it but what followed was also nice so people finally got the food then they posted about it then they also wrote to me so i think that definitely kind of defined how i wanted to pursue the rest of the lockdown Anyway, so I, so I did a lot of takeaways after that. Hmm. At some point, if you remember, of the first wave, mostly towards end of the year 2020 or like January 2021, right. right? People were starting to go out. Right, right, right. To an extent, you'll wear masks and you're fine. Hmm. So at that time, I did a proper pop up. Of course, I had done two before going to La Cordon Bleu, but this was my proper pop up after having been in kitchens, having right. run all of that. Right. and we did a brunch menu which is my favorite thing to cook hmm and this is my favorite menu ever it had this uh, sri lankan sini sambal it's like a onion jam okay and it's like on a toast with a curry sauce we did biniyes which is like a almost like a don- donut but from new orleans hmm okay i've had a cronut i have a donut i don't know this thing so uh, I, i mean imagine donuts are you know soft and pillowy right right this one has like a harder crust and more hollow mm and there's no filling so the dough is sweet and ah. they put a lot of sugar on it it's one of the best things and it's one of the best I mean, treats i mean i think i love food that has air in it yes so it's one of the best things mm. you know i have had a bite of right and i kind of wanted to you know create that or recreate that so it started with that and then it moved to that sini sambal and then we did you know another sort of a tartine with crab and then i had done a banana french toast with a miso caramel wow it's a yeah the menu was my favorite because that's i tasted a weird it few twist that's a really weird twist the miso on banana bread yeah it was quite a nice one and the banana bread was also like a french toast so imagine you know a banana bread was created then it was soaked overnight Dude, that's like extra, extra, extra. Yeah. So basically, it was soaked overnight in an anglaise, which is a French toast anglaise, which is like basically egg and milk and sugar and whatnot. Right. So it's super moist. Then I freeze it, and then you basically brown it on a pan. Right. 
and then put it in the oven to like bring the internal temperature to as moist as it can get because when you it's coming out of the freezer it's like super cold inside but like you toasted it from outside so you put it in the oven right bring it to a moist level like 40 45 degrees celsius i think also when you browned it outside and then put it in the oven the central part becomes very uh, steamy yeah. and then it will become more uh, moist yeah you are spot on it becomes very gooey hmm and it it was quite a treat Wow, I can imagine like you bite into it and then yeah, it's yeah, gooey, right? Yeah. So that was my favorite menu, and we did it in this place called Courtyard. And I accidentally, no kidding, ran into some really good set of people. When I advertised about the pop up, some people wrote back to me and they were like, they'd love to work in the kitchen. I was like, yeah, please come. And then that became my team, which is like I still have them, and they are like the best set of people ever. Some of them have actually worked in a professional kitchen. Oh, Siddharth, who is you know he's studying uh, culinary arts in a college in Bangalore. So basically, he has been in the kitchen. And then there is Arman, who's also been in the kitchen before. Harshala, who's uh, you know is a home baker. But especially like people like Siddharth or Arman who have been in the kitchen, and they cover up for things that I don't know. Ah, I see. And kitchen is a lot more about organization as well. So mostly I do with. how to organize the refrigerator efficiently because you made so much food coo of your kitchen yeah yeah <laughs> yes you're right how so for example you made so much food hmm. you only have one refrigerator how do you efficiently pack it up hmm. like someone like me will just put it in and but they will have a different way of organizing it and i learned a lot from them and then we also enjoyed together as a group and you know after this pop up was over which is the brunch one hmm. the next one we did was in february which is also the same time i think people were more out and about people are wearing masks of course in bangalore right and then you know we was on valentines i'm going to admit and then someone I, i don't know if you know this place called omid cafe in bangalore no i'm not familiar with bangalore as much so it's it used to be like a roof terrace roof sort of a cafe very very popular and very very good looking like a beautiful setting and they were like oh we have closed omade but we'd love to do some pop up because we always used to do something on valentines now it's closed down because of the pandemic but we'd love to revive it and do something hmm. then i also got the soul boys hmm. involved and then we were like let's do it fine this was 100 people hmm which is the scale i had never done before mm-hmm. so i did a nice menu etc and i remember it was afternoon service and i was with the same team which i'm very grateful for it was the afternoon service i get a phone call from my mother that daddy is unwell and of course like you know it's really hard when you are you know serving these guests and you have another service to go in the night which is was the special night for so many people right it's a right. valentines night i was like mummy take care of him and all of that they were like yeah he's very unwell we are taking him to ludhiana we live in moga mm-hmm. good hospitals are in ludhiana 7 pm she calls me She's like, uh, he's detected with COVID, oh, and God. he's admitted. Mm. This is seven p.m. Damn. And the service is starting in thirty minutes. And now we are serving hundred people. Lunch service was small, but dinner service was, of course, as you can imagine, on a Valentine's night. We're serving hundred people, and these are people who haven't probably come to my any of my events or anything before. It's new audience, but more than anything, it's someone's special night. cancelling just didn't feel like the right thing one because it would be a lot of operational failure you are telling people in the last minute and i just felt like like i don't know if 100 people need to know this 
and I just went back to my team and I said, this has happened. You may have to work extra hard. You may have to cover up for me. It's one of the best service we did ever. Yeah, I'm <laughs> a bit emotional talking about it. But yeah, I mean, it was crazy. It, I don't know. I think uh, so many people loved the food. Everyone went back happy. We closed the service at about 11.30. I had a flight at 3 a.m. Just did a nice debrief. I'm sorry. Yeah, with everyone. And, you know, I thanked everyone because I think they definitely had my back that night. A really good set of people. How do I put it? And then we, I took the flight, went home. Situation was worse. My dad was like an early adopter of the second wave, which was to come a month after that. Mm. You won't imagine I landed in Punjab. There were no masks. Yeah, yeah. Like at night before we were hosting a pop-up, like right. sure, 100 people. But it also meant like tables were distanced. People were wearing masks. And that's the best we knew at the time. Right, right, right. And also people had been, uh, you know, at their home for so long. Right. So, but Punjab had like... Yeah, yeah, still... It was maskless. It's still maskless. You're right, extent, you're right. Which is surprise. Yeah, which, yeah. I anyway. think Punjab is India's Florida, so people can just extrapolate from there. You're anyway. right. And uh, uh, anyway, how was his health then? How... He was bad. I mean, honestly, he was, like I said, he was an early adopter of the second wave, which was to come like mm. a month after that. Mm. Maybe two months after that. But he did have, you know, all the wrong, like all the symptoms that happened in the second ah. wave, which is like... Mm. You know, your oxygen levels dropping, which doctors were scrambling to understand. Right. Because they were like, oh, these are sort of new. Right. Which no one knew is going to come. Right. We were very lucky because he and two more people had COVID in that hospital. A month later, maybe there were 600 people. Okay. Yeah, at least that time. Yeah, yeah. So we had, given. You had enough care. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to talk about that episode, but it was good yeah. two months long. I was with yeah, him. Yeah. I know. I with know. the we family did. for two months. I came back and there was another lockdown. You know, I came back to uh, Bangalore. Right, right. And that's there was... June. I think so. Yeah, that's May and June. Yeah, Sorry. which was the worst. Yeah, yeah, it was lockdown. And I think I, at that time, my memory with food was only that... So many people were making food for, you know, homemade food for people. I thought of that. And then I thought, maybe I'm not sure if I can do the right job. It just felt like too much of a responsibility. Because, you know, you have to make sure it's balanced and it's a certain way. So I thought I'm going to do something else. So we did a fundraise. And thankfully, you know, we did a fundraise with, you know, a nice menu. And then, of course, very high prices so that it's going to a fundraise. And we were able to raise a lot of money. So that was my way of kind of dealing with the situation. Because I knew I could cook. Hmm. And at some point you feel that, you know, so many people are looking for... Yeah, I think it's a really good uh, balance of, you know, being able to serve people who are looking for comfort. And also making it go to charity yeah no uh, so i think half of me was like looking to make food uh you know that could become comfort food and you could serve to people but i also felt i don't know if i know enough and that was a weird battle in my head so i thought okay i mean i was restless also because i know how how bad it was for my dad right so i was particularly very clear that i want to do something so i think i just like made a plan we made some menu of course, it was such a depressing time, so we made something, you know, which could cheer people up. But also that, you know, we priced it very high. People understood it's for charity. People bought. We 
I'm not going to put the amount, but it was a pretty good amount. And we did that few times. And I think that was a good relationship with food in that sort of a very difficult time. Hmm. Also, when there's so many people in a first or second connections who are going through so much. So that was a interesting phase too. I'm not going to extend it too long. But I think the most recent menu that I love to talk about is, uh, you know, one of my friends, Diganta, his ex-boss was like a culinary director or something. I don't know. Hmm. Taj, his name is uh, Akshay Tripathi, a man with a very good taste. Uh, he basically said, I want to eat Anurag's food. He messaged Diganta because he's my friend. Hmm. And then, you know, Diganta passed that on to me. And this, the now by then things were, we were out of second wave, right? And uh, I hadn't like done much in a very long time. And then he was like, this person wants to come eat. Like make your best you know, whatever your classics are, because, you know, he's been looking forward. I said, yeah, come home and all that. And then I just thought I'm going to do a new menu altogether because it's been too long. Right. I have conceptualized something, you know, right. that creative self not being happy and, you know, all that situation. Yeah, yeah, we also came out of such a difficult time. Right. So I was like, I'm going to make a new menu. And I, he's like, are you stupid? Like this person, you know, of course, knows a lot of people. This right. is like a good guest to have, also understand food. Why would you risk? And then I was like, no, I'm going to do a new menu. And it was called super crazy in my head hmm. because when he told me that, I couldn't sleep that night because I was just like thinking about a menu. Right. And I wrote a seven course menu that night. This is the first menu that I ha didn't have to change anything. Imagine writing a seven course menu and no changes were made after I tested and tasted everything. And that really happens because something works well in your head, but never translates into something that's delicious. Or, yeah, like it's like a design concepts, right? Like Yeah, yeah. It, in your head, it makes sense. Yeah. But in reality, maybe not. This one just worked out. And also because probably I was wanting to do this, do this for so long. Hmm. I had probably ideas in my head that just came together. Right. So I did that menu. It had very crazy things. It's maybe my second favorite menu. It had like a lamb brain beignet and which is of course like a difficult thing right because people kind of avoid offals but I made it into like a donut of sorts which was also savory and I had this uh, silk handkerchief pasta which was like a really thin sheet of pasta just one sheet of pasta made with egg yolks which is like super smooth and silky to eat and it was just cooked in butter sauce that's it extremely light you are eating like a Handkerchief. <laughs> right. So there was like a confit egg yolk that you break and it becomes the sauce. Mm. So those kind of things. I did this, uh, I call it extremely moist orange cake. I forgot what I had named it. It was a, oh, it was called insanely moist orange cake because basically I boiled the oranges for about seven hours and then I blitzed them the whole, like basically didn't remove the peels. So you, mm. the peels also get cooked. So you blitz the whole orange and you only add a little bit of almond flour. It's basically eating an orange. So it was I an orange the, cake and yeah. a fish caramel, fish sauce caramel. And I forgot what were the other things. But it's it was, it was a quite an out there menu. Right. Which I had never done before. And it worked out. And then, you know, Akshay came and those people came. And I remember, you know, Akshay was like, I haven't had food like this in a very long time. He was, I mean, I... As I didn't know he's, he's being nice or what, but a few days later he wrote on Instagram, he's like, you know, this was one of my favorite meals I had. 
in a long time etc etc i remember i had done this burnt cabbage hmm with like a chili sabayon and i love i love vegetables i mean cuz at the heart of it i was vegetarian no, yeah right and yeah. so i, I kind of love changing people's opinion on that so it was like a burnt cabbage with like a chili sabayon it was yeah it was quite a menu yeah that was another one damn everything in this menu sounds like such an experiment yeah it was it was and you know i had done this milk flower gelato which is just mm. you know i think i talked about it already on the podcast but it was like like just an ice cream that tastes of milk and i sourced the milk from the right place and it just had that one drop of 25 year old balsamic vinegar and right. there was a ravioli which was called truffle juice ravioli which is like you bite into it and there's you know so yeah it was <laughs> yeah i i i really God. enjoyed making that menu wow like now now i'm like just uh, dreaming of food yeah but we like, can't eat more food because we yeah. overate so much today yeah. but you didn't talk about the time when you left uber yeah and uh, you didn't uh, tell us about what you are doing now uh, and just to tell you that when i got the news that you're leaving uber which through my friends and of course like uh, we follow each other on instagram and so on I was thinking you are starting something in the culinary world, and uh, which isn't the case. Yeah. Salad yeah. discovered. Tell us about that. And that Glad you uh, brought it up. So, it had kind of gotten to a point where I felt like I had all the experiences that I could at this place. I squeezed in a lot. A lot of people had left. So many people moved out. So for me, I just felt like, you know, I would l- like to leave the place with good memories. Hmm. Right, and I felt like, oh, this is the time. So that realization had happened. You kind of felt it was plateauing. Yes, and that realization was happened, and you know, I was leading the whole design team. It was a new challenge. I did it for, you know, four five months, and then I felt like, yeah, this is very nice, and you know, I hired the right team. But then I felt I'm not needed anymore. You know, sometimes you have the right people, and then you realize, you know, Your the work is, is no done. More. Your team is no more. Yeah. Yeah, but the work is done, right? Like right. they are really talented people. Hmm. I don't think I'm yet interested in like kind of you know guiding people. I think they were pretty self-aware individuals and you know extremely talented people. A part of me was selfish that I was like I would love to be with them and probably also learn from them and while I'm guiding them, right? But in yeah, at some point I was like yeah, I, I was always in two minds. So I was like okay, this is the time and I think at that time another opportunity came by and now it's probably not going to talk too much about it. but uh, yeah it's my own thing and now i am a startup founder if that kind of explains it but there's more that i will be putting out very soon i just don't know if i'm announcing before this podcast is out so that's why i'm kind of keeping it a secret but perfect yeah we'll all know soon <laughs> Yeah so on this note we'll end the podcast Anurag thanks for being on the podcast you flew all the way from Punjab to here to record this podcast thanks yeah i mean it was pretty easy for me because i felt like one i was getting to hang out with Kaval two i was recording an episode for my favorite podcast damn and three we were going out and eating in delhi i mean it just felt like a natural thing If you find conversations like this valuable and want to help me bring you more content like this there are many ways you can support this podcast you can leave a review on the platform you're listening to this podcast on 
You can tell a friend about it or you can also share this podcast on social media. You can also extend a financial support. To know more about that, visit designthisway.com. Please know that I really appreciate your support and uh, if you have any comments, feedback, suggestion, feel free to get in touch with me on social media or email. You can get my email and social media links uh, on my website www.kaval.co. In my next episode, I have another interesting guest for you. So, see you soon.